1: You know, normally uh, Friday's kind of easy going around here. We kind of kick back. A lot of times we talk about gun stuff. You know, we've got uh, um, Derek. Well, it gets in kind of intense with Derek uh, when we talk about the economic things. Uh, and then I'm um, hoping that uh, cowgirl Candace comes back here fairly soon. She's been busy with a bunch of stuff. Uh, but Friday's kind of fun. Not this one. Well, it's not, it's not going to be fun. It's going to be pretty intense. Uh, I've got a lot of uh, of things that I've been working on, uh, but particularly the uh, the court case, the 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 uh, Terry uh, Daughtry or Doughty, excuse me, Doughty court case, the this injunction against the you know illegal Brandon is unbelievable. I mean, it's it's spectacular. Um, in its detail intricacy, but I found some flaws. I found some flaws where his reasoning is, you know, court-related as opposed to constitution-related. And of course, he needs correcting on that. But overall, it's about eighty-five percent good and about fifteen percent we got to have a chat. Anyway, let's get on to our, our newest feature here with uh, Tara D, which is our pup date, which is short for pet update. Uh, we just need a theme for you. I need like the, the barking dogs Tara, or I need the, the the something something that's non-copyright. You know, like the remember the Christmas carol. <laughs> Anyway, well, we usually one. have she's dogs she's...
2: barking in the background, so not not this morning. Oh, yeah, They're all quiet right now.
1: Yeah, take the phone over to the dog sometimes. I don't have some fun.
2: <laughs> was... Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. How you doing? What's going on?
2: Uh, Doing good, doing good. Uh, Just a typical Friday at the shelter, going to be a little short staff, so everybody's kind of getting going this morning, cleaning some kennels, getting some puppies out, things like that. Mm -hmm. So it's been a busy week, a lot of uh, uh, people coming in looking at kitty cats this week, so that's been great.
1: Mm. So do you have like a casual Friday there, like the dogs kind of like chill out and just kind of like bark softly or... Yeah.
2: Unfortunately not. They they don't know it's Friday, and they just, they every don't. day is a bark day. <laughs> no, oh, no, unfortunately not. No. But we do have um, one of our volunteers that is actually doing something fun this afternoon. She's doing um, frozen pup treats, like peanut butter frozen treats. So they'll have a nice little uh, <laughs> afternoon, weekend, rolling around kind of treat this afternoon. So um, we didn't tell them about it because we didn't want them to get too excited, but that's a nice little thing they'll be doing later for them.
1: Oh, if you want to give recipes out for frozen uh, pup treats that people can make their own, that'd be great. <laughs> I mean, feel Oh great. yeah, I you will know,
2: have
1: to always... get that
2: because I do not know. I'm not a. Um, I usually just you know buy the pre-made things like that because anything to do with cooking or making things is not my forte. So
1: oh, you should Even try so it. It's fun. <laughs> oh, no, no. no. I don't a lot. Yeah, I, I know I
2: the don't dogs cook a
1: love lot. the peanut butter, so. Yeah, yeah. Now, is that okay for them? I mean, obviously it is, but I'm just, I didn't think yeah, peanut, peanut butter. Yeah, peanut butter is,
2: so. as long as it's um, xylitol, it's something you'll see now in peanut butter, and that is toxic to pets. So want to make sure if you're doing peanut butter treats that there is no xylitol in that. That's uh, a sugar substitute, I think, of some sort. So that's something that's definitely need to check those labels, make sure that's not in there.
1: Wait a minute, if you're eating something with all the fat content of, of peanuts, why would you worry about the sugar? <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I, call Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But
2: yeah, it's one of those things sugar of that, chocolate. you know.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, uh, oh, to- yeah, dark chocolate is, you know, so darker the worse for animals. So don't give your animals chocolate yeah, either. No right. chocolate, no volatile.
1: So why is it good for us, I wonder, because I've, I've had many health people. In fact, we had CJ, who does the Wellness Watch on Thursdays, uh-huh. and I had uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Red Cross. His name is actually Red Cross, and, and Dr. Red Cross. I thought it was a joke, um, but uh, he talked about the, his, his five, you know, superfoods, you know, it's like uh-huh. berries, so it'd be like blueberries, strawberries, things like that, chocolates, one uh-huh. of them, and uh, avocados, and a couple of other things, walnuts, uh, all the stuff I eat, right, <laughs> on a regular basis. Um, oh, well, that's funny, but. Yeah, but dark chocolate is actually really good for people. So why would it be good? And you may not know the answer. I, I always ask questions that nobody can answer. Um, but why would something be good for mammals, you know, us, in other words, dark chocolate, but not be good for pets, mm-hmm. which are also mammals, unless their digestion is completely different, which is something that I also talked about yesterday. Um, we're yeah, um, I actually. don't know
2: exactly, but I think it is something to do with uh, the chemicals in it. So, so m- mm-hmm. in general, we we are good with you know, digesting most of the same things, but there are a few things Mm -hmm. that have different, um, basically different reactions in their bodies. So definitely not a good thing. That would probably be a vet question. But I do know, like, for example, um, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: you know, we can eat sweet potato uh, and things like that. That's good for animals. Um, Pumpkin is good for their digestive system. But then other Mm -hmm. things that we eat, like, um, even for, like, Benadryl. So they have a higher tolerance for Benadryl than we do. So um, a Benadryl... um, Given by a vet, they might have the same or a higher amount than what you take as a human. So that seems kind of crazy too, but it's how their body processes it. So it's
1: just kind of huh. interesting Is it for fact. For allergies, what would you give the um, Yeah, a well, dog a lot of, well,
2: you definitely want to, you know, have your vet prescribe it. But yeah, some dogs will take it for allergies, or sometimes they will get it, give it to them if they're doing um, part of a heartworm treatment protocol. So um, veterinarians oh. will, you know, they have each vet kind of has their own protocol for that. So.
1: Hmm, this is interesting. How about avocados? I heard those are really bad for animals, too.
2: I don't really know about avocados, to be honest. I have no idea um, if they are good or bad for pets. So I would say check check Google and check with your vet. Um, there's a list. Yeah. I know that onions are not good for pets, grapes are not, and um, oh. bananas are okay. So it just kind of varies from thing to thing.
1: We should do a, a list of things because they're like spring foods, summer foods, winter foods, you know, things like oh, that. Yeah, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, is, is alcohol ever <laughs> – you know, like a shot of whiskey sometimes can, I don't know, warm, they think it pe- warms people up, it really doesn't, but they say moderate amounts of alcohol, like wine, glass of red wine or something like that, is good for people. Is alcohol ever a good idea for pets or no? I'm guessing no. To my
2: knowledge, it is not because the last thing you would want is to have a dog that's, you know, develops a drinking problem that could be an issue for you at your home, you know, he could mm-hmm. have parties mm-hmm. and things like that, but, but on a serious note, I don't think so. I think it, you know, that is something that's, it's really not good for people for the most part, like you said, other than yeah. a moderate. So I would say check uh-huh. with your vet, but to my knowledge, no alcohol for the puppies or kitties.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, so speaking of dark chocolate, <laughs> which I do quite frequently, uh, mm-hmm. what's a, what percentage of, uh, are you? I'm like an 85%er when it comes to dark chocolate. Just enough sugar so I can, or maybe 90%. I think I'm, I'm leaning over so like 85 90% depending on what's available. About, about eighty, yeah, portion? about
2: eighty-five percent. Because like, you okay. know, it's it's good, but then it gets if you get the dark, dark, like it gets a little bitter. But I know that's better for you the darker. But so yeah, I'm I actually kind of um, trying to stay away from a lot of sweets right now. So even mm-hmm. though chocolate is one of those things you never want to, you know, it's hard to resist. So
1: yes, yeah, not a lot of sugar in ninety percent the uh, cocoa chocolate. Of course, it's more expensive, and they give you smaller portions now. I've noticed.
0: Yeah, um, it's kind of like a so, little wait, a little treat. Yeah. Okay.
1: Oh. So I was listening to the fireworks because I couldn't help it. I'm close enough to hear them. They were loud this mm-hmm. year. Um, yeah. Any reports back from from pets, pet owners? you know, terrified pets, people who brought their dogs, you know, to the fireworks, which you told them. We told them ahead of time, don't do this. You know. Right. Uh, well, we did story, see we
2: um, uh, we yeah, we did see some animals that are lost and found pages, but um, uh-huh. fortunately, uh, compared to years past, I think we did really well this year. It looks like see citizens paid attention, kept a lot yeah. of their pets at home. We didn't see an mm-hmm. influx of animals or a lot of emergency calls like we have in the past. So mm-hmm. I think it was a pretty successful year overall for that as far as the animal side of it. So we were pleased to see we did not see a lot of posts, and we didn't get a lot of animals in the next day that people found, so I, we're pleasantly surprised for that.
1: Okay. Um, I know it's a tradition, and this is one of the problems in California. Uh, people are shooting off guns uh, two times a year. They do New Year's, then they do Fourth oh, of July. Mm-hmm. Um, is anybody, is that a problem around here? I mean, I don't know if I really addressed that or I not. I would
0: say it's,
2: uh, I would maybe say out towards the rural areas. I'm sure that might be something that occurs, but yeah. I don't think uh, we've really gotten any Reports about it per se, so but i'm I'm sure on the holidays it probably does happen around here as well. Not to yeah. say it's legal or illegal, I don't really know, but, yeah, I would say it probably does happen in certain areas around here, in the country yeah. areas, you know, where it's <laughs> less populated and stuff like that. So,
1: Well, I was an area that was slightly less populated, but not as much as I would think, and I, I sounded like somebody was hunting, and i by hearing um, gunshots going, oh, this is interesting. You know, okay, just keep them. Yeah, I live in a subdivision.
2: I heard a couple myself around the holiday time, so it's like, I don't know. <laughs>
1: Well, there is a shooting range. Uh, the police in the, the the somewhat northern part, because I can hear it from the Blackwater Trail when I'm bike riding, uh, when the police oh, range yeah, is yeah. practicing. So you definitely hear that. But that's interesting. Hey, we are in Florida, folks. You know, and people do hunt, and uh, you know, so that's the thing. But uh, the problem with the gunshots, uh, when people shoot them up, you know, what goes up must come down. You know, I'm thinking pets it's kept exactly, outside.
0: Definitely. You know,
1: that was, that was my concern was pets that are kept outside just just a random, you know, event. Uh, I'm hoping it doesn't happen, but. You know, yeah, it's, it's, so people, it's something
2: that you have to think about when you're out there and, and yeah, and you yeah. know, having fun. Hopefully people are being responsible and thinking about things like that. We haven't gotten any crazy reports of animals, you know, coming up with gunshot wounds for the holidays or anything like that. Good. So hopefully yep. that won't be a thing. But it always is a possibility when there's, you know, you want to make sure you're, you know, very conscientious of where you're doing mm-hmm. that if you are doing it. So.
1: Yeah. All these questions are popping into my head right now. Uh, so we'll get to the pets, the actual animals we're right. talking about. Um, heat. We have had a heat wave here recently. So pet precautions, ideas, things you can do. You know, my big one is to get one of those kitty baths, those, those five, six feet across kitty baths. Oh, you know, filled with yeah. ice water for your huskies. You know, I mean, there are breeds that really don't like the heat. And people insist on keeping huskies. Yeah, it's very, huskies very difficult for some of, of the breeds and... that are
2: popular around here. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. And another thing that some people do for the huskies, they shave them down. And I'll, some of the vets will tell you that's actually worse for them because they have an insulated coat. So even though they have yeah. a heavy coat, sometimes that coat is keeping them cooler. So yeah. I would definitely say if you have a particular breed, check with your, you know, your groomers will know, and check with your vets on is that a good thing or not, uh, not a good thing to shave them down because you may think it's. It's going to help, but it actually may do the opposite. Another thing, too, if you have um, dogs that are outside, please make sure that you have plenty of fresh water and a place Mm -hmm. to get out of the sun because it can be just brutal. And, of course, Mm -hmm. the main thing, which we wouldn't think we would have to keep talking about this, but it still happens, don't leave your dog in a car unattended, in a a shut-off car with the windows up. Or even with the windows half down, Is still... Tremendously hot, and animals literally die from that. Um, we we get calls every summer where our, you know, one of our officers has to go out when their police are called and. It's terrible when you see a dog that is literally dying of a heat stroke, and it, it could have been prevented. You could have just left him at home, you know, because it gets, it doesn't take but just a few minutes for that to happen here in Florida. So we would just want why, to stress why that. Why does it happen? You know? Do
1: people forget their dogs? Do they think it's okay uh, no, for a few No, I think they minutes? Minutes? just say, I'm gonna go going to go in for
2: them? just a couple minutes, and maybe, maybe mm-hmm. they're in there for 10 minutes in the store or something. But, you know, it doesn't matter. If you're in your car in the summertime in Florida, even five minutes is too much, so we just stress, do not do not take your dogs unless you can leave someone in the car with them to keep that air running. If you don't want to be in the car, shut up, you know, windows up, no air for five minutes, then if it's unbearable, unbearable for you, it's definitely going to be unbearable for your pet. So, you know, we just stress that every year, and every year we see that. We do see a lot of people visiting, and maybe mm-hmm. they're not familiar with our heat and you know we've gotten calls on that you know tourists coming in and leaving a pet in the car while they go to the beach or something so
0: oh no we just want
2: to yeah so we just want to encourage people just don't do it leave the pets at the Airbnb or something don't put them in
1: the car Yeah. Yeah. A couple things on that. One, uh, it's interesting you're talking about the huskies and fur. And, <laughs> you know, me, I look at everything and try and put it through the, 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 the penguins logic and reason filter. And I'm thinking bears have a lot of fur and they're in really hot places. <laughs> you know, um, oh, yeah. there's a lot of it, deer have a lot of fur and they're in hot places, too. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and I started, you know, me, of course, I do, I experiment. Um, I like longer hair. I've got a haircut now that's a little too short. And so, that, you know, I, was, I, I went to a new person. <laughs> Won't make that mistake again. Oh,
2: it'll grow back um,
1: okay. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It'll grow back, exactly. But the thing is, uh, many times I've worked outside or my, my youth, I've, I've had jobs, and guys are, like shave their head in the summertime. I'm like, you're, 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 you're stupid. I'm like, why? Like, Aren't you hot with that hair? Actually, no, I'm cooler. And there's mm-hmm. a weird thing that happens with hair. And uh, it looks like the more hair I have in the summertime, the cooler my head is. So I absolutely know about this from, from personal experience, that uh, uh-huh. there is an insulating layer. I don't know if it's like the, the sweat that cools you down under under a layer of hair. Uh, it's really kind of crazy, but it's true mm-hmm. that hair makes a Yeah, it, does, it a is difference.
2: true, yeah. So that's you know, why we uh, tell people, check with their vets, check with their groomers. Their groomers usually know
3: uh-huh. certain breeds.
2: You don't want to mess with their coats. So we just say... Make sure to check it out. And also, dogs can get sunburned, too. So if you have a dog that you just shaved and you're going to put him outside, like, don't leave him outside for hours on end when he's not used to it and he has no fur now because he'll get a sunburn. And that can be very painful for them as well, just like it is for us.
1: Because they're not used to it, yeah. So, so, so yes, fur absolutely. actually prevents sunburn, doesn't it? I mean, I didn't think about that, but that's, that's very true. Yeah, scary. yeah, because when
2: their skin is exposed, like when we see dogs uh-huh. that come in with skin issues and uh-huh. they're missing hair from like a flea allergy, you'll see that they'll get sunspots and, and can get, you know, sunburn just like we can. So, you know, just something to think mm-hmm. about when your pets are out there in, in the summertime.
1: Yeah, something else that I, I know from, from, you know, college physics, that uh, cloudy days do not prevent your car from heating up. Uh, 80% absolutely. of the ultra... Yeah, 80% of the ultraviolet light goes right through the clouds. And so you may be getting a little bit, but you certainly get uh, 80%. And 80% is enough in Florida to – it might take a little longer to heat up, maybe five minutes longer, but it's still going to heat up. Um, So, yeah. Absolutely.
2: And just yeah, think about like, when you get in your car after you've gone into a store, even for like an hour, you go to your car, how blazing mm-hmm. hot it mm-hmm. is, and you can barely sand it to get that air on. I mean, that's how it is if a pet is in there. So it's just, it's just unacceptable and no excuses. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows, you know, yep. don't do it. Just leave your pet at home if, if you don't have an option of taking them inside with you.
1: Yeah, we got Marco listening in in the Netherlands, who's uh, he's, he's he's like our foreign correspondent here. He says, I would oh, never awesome. take a dog. Oh, yeah, it is, it is really awesome. He says, I would never take a dog to have a shave. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I agree. Leave the pets, leave the fur. There's a reason for it. Um, right. Uh, what's the legal requirement on that? I know with kids, like if I see a kid in a car, you know, a, uh, you know first thing I do is smash the window and I'll take mm-hmm. the consequences later. If i got a kid in the car that's, that's passed out and there's no, there's no parent, no visible person within shouting distance, I'm, I'm breaking that window. I don't care.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, I think do that, that there, and I, I don't, no? don't want to misquote, but I, I, I'm going to check with my officer for next time, but I believe right. it's kind of a similar thing. But we always encourage people, if you see something, like if you see a dog, if they're in immediate distress, do what you got to do. You know, that's what I would do, you know, not telling okay. someone what to do. But try to contact a, you know, police officer or somebody immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're at a store, Um, We usually encourage people to go inside. If the dog, you know, looks like, hey, he's going to be okay for a minute, run inside. Try to get them to, you know, kind of announce it like, hey, this dog, you need to get your dog out, and have them call the police. The police will show up. Obviously, we don't want anybody to get in trouble or anything, but if, you know, life or death is, 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 if it's to that point, you know do what you need to do but yeah, I the dogs check with our the officer of the for next time to give that yeah. exact information for that
1: yeah that'd be good, yeah, so feel free to bring on any guests because you know we do a lot of times we 'll get sideline topics you know you think it's it's just one thing we 'll talk about pets, and all of a sudden we've got fifteen other uh, other topics here i'll tell you another thing too that I found mm-hmm. that was uh, kind of scary um, and this is i I regret not calling the police, but i mm-hmm. and the next next time this happens, I will. Um, so I'm in a parking lot, you know, shopping, doing stuff, and I hear a car with the engine on. And I'm always suspicious when I hear a car with the engine on because people don't realize cars can slip into gear. Uh, I know Toyota's had had a problem with that uh, at some point. Um, but the problem was so I go over this car, I actually pick up a pickup truck, and it was locked. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were kids in it, uh, and the air conditioning was on. So, so I'm guessing, you know, I was thinking to myself, the parent must have – thought that it was okay to leave the kids in a car, you know, because the air conditioning was on and the engine was right. on. But I'm thinking to myself, what kind of an idiot would do that? Cause, and then there was a kid in the front seat. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know. And I think, hey, it wouldn't take much to, to throw that car into gear even by accident. It, and off that thing yeah, goes with a bunch of kids in there, right? absolutely. And so, and that has, yeah, I'm sure
2: that's happened before, too. So, oh. yeah, that's a, that's a whole other thing.
1: Well, and I'm thinking to myself, well, I found the owner. Actually, I went to a couple of stores and yelled. And I said, who's the uh-huh. owner to pick up, you know, with the kids inside? Uh, I said, I'm yeah, about the yeah. police. somebody better own it. Well, you know, and I found the owner. He said, they'll be right out. I said, yeah, you better. <laughs> you know, the next time I'm not going to wait. I'm just going to call because the, the, yeah, you yeah. need to learn a lesson. Don't be stupid enough to leave your dogs or your kids' in the car locked, you know, with the engine running, especially if they have access to the front seat even your Absolutely. dog and I know, to yeah and some people
2: do that with their pets and as well they're uh-huh. like they'll put a note and say the ac's on you run the risk of the dog hitting that gear i know when i travel with uh-huh. one of my dogs he's constantly hitting my gear shifter so i'm like eh, you know i can only imagine if he were in there and i went into a store he's going to knock that thing because he's always moving around so that's something to think about. Like, even though if you left the air on, you still run the risk of some something bad happening. So it's just better to either leave them attended or leave them at home where they're safe.
1: Yeah, or take them with you because the stores yes, absolutely. And yeah, bring them in. That.
2: And I know there's not, you know, as many places locally that are pet friendly, but we do have several places that you can take your pets. So, you know, that's something to think mm-hmm. about. There's a lot of restaurants where you, they have patio dining that you can take your pets. Um, mm-hmm. I believe... I want to say Lowe's or Home Depot, maybe both will allow you to take your pets. You just have to check around, but there are a lot of options if you want to bring your pet with you.
1: Yeah, because they're all air-conditioned. So you know, any place you can bring yeah. them in, bring them in <laughs> just for that. Absolutely. Kids. Mm-hmm. You know, shopping with kids is fun, trust me. I mean, you know, I, I, <laughs> well, This is totally off, off off the subject here, but it's, it's kind of fun. That uh, I used to take my daughter everywhere when I uh, mm-hmm. over the weekend, Dad, for years and years. And what I did was, I remember when we used to go shopping, um, I I got her a cell phone. And so, whereas most parents keep their kids either in or near the carts, and they're always saying no. And I always try to, I was raising my kids, uh, my daughter, excuse me, I don't have kids, but uh, my kid. Uh, to not say no all the time, and mm-hmm. so what I did was I, we'd go shopping, and I'd have her go to the far end of the store with her cell phone and my phone, so we're always in constant contact. And all the employees knew mm-hmm. my kid knew me, so it wasn't a big deal. Anyway, um, so she would go off to the far end of the store and get something, and come on back, and then I'd send her, you know, to the, another far end of the store. And this is a game we played. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, sometimes I didn't even yeah, kind of like go, an I, adventure, and you know,
2: they felt included, like yeah, they're important yeah, doing something. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. So go shopping with your kids, but I think the same thing with pets too. I mean, people just keep them in and they. they Keep them the thumb don 't you go bike ride with your pets why don 't you go uh, you know go go find a place where they can run or or do something absolutely. exciting with them or have them pull you on a skateboard you know especially if you've got a, okay. a like a like a husky or a sled dog pull them on a skateboard yeah maybe you know, wear some
2: you... some pads and a helmet, but absolutely like that 's one of yeah. the things that we do see here. We see a lot of young active dogs that are coming in and strays that people are not picking back up and you know they're not neutered number one so that's going to cause some bad behavior possibly number two they're active dogs and if you just toss them in the yard and then you bring them in occasionally expect them to behave you're probably going to have a dog that's rowdy but if you're exercising your dog daily and spending time with them number one they're going to mind you better number two they're going to be more exercise so they're going to be calmer and it's just better for the pets for their mental health and it's going to get you out of the house so it's it's Mm -hmm. really something it needs to be you know a family thing if you get a pet um everybody needs to you know kind of band together to make sure that pet gets exercised it's going to be such a much better experience for the whole family if that dog is included in the family instead of just thrown outside so
1: yeah i don't understand people that get a pet and then ignore it you know, I purposely don't yeah, have pets because I don't, I don't have mine, the
2: time. Mine sleep in the go bed ahead. with me, so, like, yeah. you know, they just kind of run the
1: house, so. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not surprised. You know, I can just imagine you've got you've got a, probably a, a, a different pet in every room, <laughs> or at least a Yeah, well, team.
2: I only have three now, so, you okay. know, as I've gotten older, I'm like, okay, a little, got a little, got to have a little break when I go home, so I, I'm at three. I have a senior dog and then uh, two rescues, so.
1: Yeah. Well, they're a big responsibility. I don't think people realize, you know, how much time they take because almost everybody, uh, every family, you know, I've I've been doing a part time delivery job one day a week. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's amazing. Almost everybody has a dog. Almost everybody. And they probably have cats, too. But I I don't hear them, you know, meowing that loudly. But I see a lot of cats out there, too. (laughs) Um, Is is that I wonder? Sort of, you know, I mean, do people think about that? Or do they just assume everybody should have a pet? I, know a lot of I think are that
2: there are a lot of, you know, it's very, very commonplace now. Like you said, for most people to have pets, I know that uh-huh. in the uh-huh. last couple of years there's been a lot of problems with people with rentals having places that they can have their pets, and that's really uh-huh. unfortunate. Um, so we do see that, you know, a lot more now because everybody has a pet pretty much. And I feel like,
0: uh-huh. you
2: know, I, of course, if you own a property, you want to make sure that it's not getting ruined, but um, so many people have pets and then if they get displaced and they don't know what to do with their pets. So that's an issue. So I see, yeah, I definitely think that most people have pets. And I really think as a whole it's really good for people. But they do have to realize it's a commitment. It's not just a disposable item. It's not a piece of property, which technically that by law they're not, con- you know, that's kind of what it is. But in reality, this is an animal that's dependent upon you for their survival, for their love, for their, you know, for their interaction. So you have to be able to step up and, you know, do what you're supposed to do to make them a happy pet. And if you do that, then they're going to they're gonna be awesome for you as well. So it's a, it's a win-win for both people.
1: Oh well, I, I love dogs and cats and animals and all kinds of things. I just don't want to own one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's my responsibility because I know I don't have the time, the space, the energy. Right, right. And that's, know, busy, and that's you okay. know, and
2: that's okay. And that's just a segue, that's why we have fostering, you know. So if we have people mm-hmm. that maybe they travel a lot or maybe they don't want that commitment, um that's one of the things that's great about fostering. You can foster for like a week or two weeks, um and it How's helps some work? of our animals get out of mm, the shelter, I'm get a little break that. and we get to see more about them so yeah Uh fostering is is great so we do have a foster program
1: temporarily
2: yes absolutely so some of our dogs have been here at the shelter quite some time and sometimes they just really need a break to get out of the shelter or perhaps Mm -hmm. we don't really know a lot about their personality and so if we send them out to a foster that foster can tell us oh guess what they're terrified of thunderstorms. Oh, guess what? They seem to love kids. They love walking on a leash. They're already house trained. He knows sit and shake and things that we wouldn't pick up on here perhaps. Or, you, you know, hmm. you might be able to say he loves going for walks, and then when he comes in, he's super calm. So that way, when we're trying to adopt this dog out, we already know to tell a new family, hey, guess what? This dog's already house trained. So it really helps the dog, number one, to catch a break and get a little peace and calm from the shelter and also just gives us good information to pass on to that potential adopter.
1: Yeah, if you have a post on that, let me know. If I hear you're, you're okay. free to post anything in my messenger that I can share, because I don't, okay, people can't awesome. post directly to my Facebook page. But yeah, that'd be a good thing to do. And we have, uh, we might have to set up a, a Action Radio pet project. <laughs> oh,
2: like that'd be our, fantastic! Yeah, that'd
1: be our pet project. Well, of course, you'd, you'd moderate it, of course, um, and, uh, and that could be kind of fun. So you know, this, yeah, this is the we land would. Of opportunity. Yeah, and we would, would
2: love be. to have more fosters. Uh, I think right now we okay. have approximately. I want to say about 240 animals in foster care. So that is primarily kittens that are underage, so probably about 200 cats and kittens, and then about 40 dogs are in foster care. So it really is, I mean, we couldn't take care of the number of animals that we do without our foster program. So it's very important, and our fosters are golden, and we love them. And we can do, you know, foster care can be a one-week gig or an eight-week gig. It it doesn't have to be long-term. Huh.
1: So that be that'd be great for someone to try out whether they're good with a pet, or, or do you have to do you want pet owners already with experience, or would this be? Um, no, they too- don't
2: have to. Actually, some of our animals don't like other pets, so it would be preferable if we had somebody that didn't have any pets and wants to get you know give them a break for a couple of weeks or something, that's perfect because okay. they get out of the shelter. We don't have to worry about interactions with other pets at home. And so, yeah, if you don't have pets or if you do, whichever, um, we are open to all fosters. So. And we have uh, some people that do medical fosters. We have some people that do only, like, neonate kittens. Some people oh. just do dogs that need a break for just a, maybe a couple of weeks at a time. So pretty much wherever somebody has a spot where they can foster, we can work them in, and we'll have somebody that they can help.
1: Yeah, I was just thinking of someone that has never had a pet or like me. I've had uh, a dog since I was five. <laughs> you know, And we I had, wouldn't I put you with a, a, like
2: a crazy, rowdy dog your first time. If, and and we would, what we do is talk with the foster, kind of see what their lifestyle is, what their schedule is, and mm-hmm. if it's like someone who is active and they're like, hey, I don't have pets, but I'm pretty active, and maybe they go running or something, and we might put them with an active dog that they can kind of do hiking with or, you know, something that would fit their lifestyle. Or if it's maybe a senior who is not like physically able to walk a strong dog we might put them with an older dog or maybe a cat that needs some socializing that's going to just kind of work better with so it's a good experience so they're not going to be like wow i'm never doing that again that was horrible we want it to be good so they come back and do it again so if we try to match them up according to what they have going on at their home
1: okay um derek's not here but i still want to try and keep you to half an hour unless you have more time which okay. we can check because it's fun um what do we got for for critters who, who are we trying to adopt out these days
2: Okay, so we have many, many faces, uh, obviously. We still have Molly, who's in my office this morning. She's our longest resident. I'll probably mention her each show because
4: she's That's kind right.
2: of our cl- the class favorite. So she came to us, in a it was from a hoarding case uh, a year ago, February. She was very shut down. She literally would not even stand. She basically just kind of low-crawled everywhere. Uh, we sent her to a long-term foster who really worked with her and kind of got her confidence up. And so now she's back, but we don't want to kind of make her go backwards and put her back in the kennel so she lives in our offices and she goes back and forth between our our director's office and my office and another office and she kind of just makes the rounds. She does not like other pets, so it's going to be harder to adopt her out and she's very timid when she first meets someone. But once she knows somebody, she's amazing. She's house-trained. She never has an accident. Like she is house-trained perfectly house trained. She walks nicely on a leash. She's very quiet. She doesn't bark and she's just a really great dog. Would be amazing for somebody, probably not children because I don't think she's been around kids, but for someone that has a nice quiet home, she would be fantastic. So she just, one of those hidden gems here that we have at the shelter. Um, We also have lots of adult male and female dogs, mixed breeds. Mm-hmm. We've got some lab mixes, bully mixes. Uh, we don't really have a lot of small dogs, but we do get them in from time to time. You just kind of have to watch the website. I think we have a little smaller dog. She's kind of like a, let would say maybe Doxy Bassett. Style, kind of a low rider super super cute that would a be a good rider. family pet <laughs> and then we've got a couple puppies that are up for adoption they're a little older maybe three four months old adorable and I think I want to say their names are Versace and Pucci That's and designer. they were in foster oh, care they, yes they're, they're, they're designer dogs writers. yes but they're That's doing they um, great they <laughs> went into foster care and came back and they're looking for homes and they're super cute and you can find them on our website as well Oh, and well, we don't yeah, want to no, get kitties. We have well, we are well, full of I'm still, I'm
1: still, I'm still back with Versace <laughs> and Gucci. Those are great names for, for dogs. That'd be like naming a greyhound, you know, Ferrari and uh, and Lamborghini. Oh yeah,
5: <laughs> <laughs> and we get
2: lots of interesting names. So some of our staff will name our animals, and then also sometimes the fosters will name them. So it kind of varies, and we sometimes they're basic names like Bella or something, or and sometimes they'll be very, you know. Very fancy. So it just kind of depends on who names them and what kind of book they're reading at the time or things like that.
1: <laughs> well, you need uh, you need figures in history. I mean, I remember the, the the teenage mutant ninja turtles. You know, it's the first time oh, yeah. uh, that the kids actually heard names like Donatello, Raphael, Michelangelo. Right, because they're going to the want fourth, to know where
2: that name came from. Yeah, who absolutely. The so, one. Yeah, and yeah. I think we've had like the twilight <laughs> animals before, and we've done okay. Different kinds of alcohol, and we've done um, different cars, and and then I think we have somebody here who likes <laughs> to name them after, like, Greek gods, so we've done those before, and then we've done uh, food names before, and it just kind of varies as to kind of what the feel is for that particular, because when we get litters, we try to name them, you know, the same names or like names, so.
1: Well, what happens to a dog? This is um, a little off topic. Because everything, pretty much everything is uh, at this point. Um, what if someone changes names? So, in other words, your father calls an animal one name, and you call them another name, and right. someone else, so, you know, does this um, ideally, animals?
2: It, it's animals? Ideally, it might confuse them initially, but pretty much our our take on that is if you adopt the animal, they're going to be happy, and you can change the name, and they'll be okay with it. So. But sometimes it's recommended if, say, the dog's name is Max and you want to change it to Jake or something, you can call him Max Jake, Max Jake, and then he hears both names, and then you just drop the Max and where he kind of transitions over. But usually if you're going to call them with treats, they're going to associate that name anyway. So treats are a great way for, to help you um, teach them their new names. And most people have, like, 20 nicknames for their pets anyway, so I think multiple names are okay. I, I don't think it's going to be... Maybe initially a little confusing, but it's not a big deal.
1: Yeah, that's funny. Marco's got some comments here. he uh, said, I would not, uh, never take a dog for a shave. He says, I know they're not California dogs, but Bernie's Mountain Dogs are his thing. And Bernie's uh, Mountain Dogs are from Bern, Switzerland, if I remember, right? That's where Bern is? B-E-R-N? do is, is that Sounds where the right dogs are mean? from? Okay. Come on, here's the you the dog know, expert. Know We get those supposed in, to know this. not
2: very often, but we have had a couple through the years, and they're just beautiful and such great dogs, too.
1: Yeah, but they're not good for Florida. You know, used no, to... but
2: most of them here, I think, are house dogs. Uh, the ones that I've seen are, are okay. big old couch potatoes. So surprisingly, because they're so big, but it seems like the bigger breeds, like the Danes and the Masses actually do really well in the home, in the house. They're very calm. It's just as long as you have the space for them. So.
1: Yeah, I have a. Uh, There's a dog walking down here. Someone walks their Great Dane. It's a beautiful dog. It's mm-hmm. like white and black and spotted, and all kinds of. Oh the yeah, probably a Harlequin. Yeah. Yeah and okay, there we go. So I didn't know, yeah, but they're good with kids. Because um, I remember I my, my great aunt had a had a great day dame named Tongo. And Tongo was the oh, biggest yeah. animal I'd ever seen. Tongo was like eye to eye with me at five oh, years wow. old. Just, yeah, they can get they ever. can get
2: huge. It's, it's crazy, and they're well, yeah. you know tall and big. So, but and we have um, we get in Danes from time to time, but we generally work with the Northwest Florida Great Dane Rescue. Um, uh-huh. That way, they're able to kind of place them properly because they are a lot of upkeep. They have a lot of, of health issues, and because of their size, it's kind of a specialty thing. You want to make sure they go to the right home, and so we work with them a lot. They've worked with us for many many years, and usually when we great, get a Great Dane in, we will send them to them so they can adopt them out. a a good you know a home that's appropriate for that breed so
1: so you're connected with the rescue services for various breeds so yes
2: and we have a lot of great rescues in the community and they've always been very supportive of our shelter um Uh unfortunately there's so many animals and they stay full just like we do so it's always Mm. difficult for everybody to to place all the animals but we've always had amazing support from our local rescues and from groups out of the area as well but we have we've got some great rescues in our community
1: yeah, I know some of the dogs, like German Shepherds, have hip problems, and some of the other dogs have problems. Right. You're almost better crossbreeding them. I mean, I'm sure the the Labradoodle, Poodle Doodles, or whatever they're called. You know, oh yeah, they, we we they
2: are they do pretty seeing well. an, an, uh, yeah we are see, seeing a lot more Doodles, and those are dogs that you know ideally it sounds great and all, but their coats are a tremendous job. So if people are not on top of that, then it's going to be really bad for the pets so then you see a lot of the groomers having to completely shave them down because the the coat's not being maintained so although they're adorable but yeah people I would recommend if you're getting a you know a purebred dog to definitely do your research make sure it's a reputable breeder make sure that you're you know picking a dog that's going to be good for your lifestyle don't pick an active dog if you're a couch potato I mean that's okay if you don't want to take your dog on runs every day but don't pick a dog that's going to tear up your house
1: yeah. if you're you not pick a
2: lazy dog so you know like yeah, if exactly. you like to be in the house and you really don't want to do a lot of like physical activity as far as like taking the dog for long walks maybe a pug or something you know but the good thing about mixed breed dogs is what we have mm-hmm. here a lot of i mean they're just right. kind of you can find one for any style we've got calm dogs we've got hyper dogs like whatever you're looking for we've probably got it here so
1: well, I want a calm dog just for the contrast because I'm pretty hyper myself. <laughs> yeah, I'm, so
2: to... I'm I'm calmed, so my dog is kind of my dog and I kind of fit each other. We're both kind of like couch potatoes, and you know, okay. oh, it's hot, let's wow. come back inside, that type of thing. So.
1: Yeah, not me. I'm always on the go. I'm doing stuff. I'm working all the time, so I, uh, you know, I don't have time for a pet. And of course, a cat would scratch up my guitar amplifier covers and that, which wouldn't do either. So, you
2: know. oh, and you know, yeah. there are. Tools for that. They're, they 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 have mm-hmm. cat scratching posts and little um, kitty. I can't remember what they're called. They're the little nails you can put on the kitty so they don't scratch your thing. So there are there are tools for that. If people are thinking about a cat or fostering and are worried about things like that. So.
1: Huh. All got a couple more here. He said, we were talking about naming dogs before. He says it'd be wrong to name a, a dog after food. He says here's my dog, steak <laughs> or sausage <laughs> or yogurt.
2: <laughs> we've had we've had um, let's see we've had peas and carrots, we've had eggs here, we've had I'm trying to think Eggs. what else that was
1: a little unusual.
2: How yeah, we've Genghis had a little Khan bit of everything uh, as far as name names.
1: like a, and then, name like a Chihuahua Genghis Khan. I mean, that'd be funny.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we've had a lot of um, names after like musical, musical people and um, artists, things like huh. that. So it kind of just—it depends on whoever the person is naming the pet as to how creative they can be. So sometimes you might get a basic <laughs> name. Other other times, you're like, well, who thought of this and where did it come from? So.
1: Yeah, like like strawberry alarm clock, you know, or like the psychedelic bands from the sixties. It'd be an interesting name <laughs> for a dog. Anyway, um, so apparently yeah. um, Marco thinks that the Aussie Cattle Dog is far more energetic than the Aussie Shepherd. Uh, I don't know. What's your opinion?
2: Um, I think they're very similar, and it probably depends on what you get as a. The ones that I've seen, the cattle dogs are. I don't know. Those are both very, very close. Very close. My mm-hmm. personal opinion is I agree. The cattle dogs seem to be more because they're more, like, detailed on the work issue, like, let's work, let's work. But the odds are pretty... Mm-hmm. I don't know, they're very similar on their personalities, I would say, from my experience. And we do get, we actually had a wonderful cattle dog in, and he actually got adopted last week. So we see great dogs like that come in. I think we had an an Aussie mix that was in and was adopted last week as well. So we just encourage people, if that's, Uh just because it's a purebred doesn't mean we don't get it in. We may not have it at the moment, but you just Uh keep on checking our website because we get in new faces every day, so...
1: So let's get the contact information, Then I just have one more question for you. And then uh, I'm going to get to court cases. It's really dry stuff, but I think it's important. Anyway. Oh, yeah. How do people Um, find you? Yeah,
2: so – Contact information, um, you can go to our website at www.santarosa.fl.gov slash animals. That's going to be our website. It's got all our information. You can check out our lost and found animals on there. You can look at our uh, adoptable animals on there. And if you want to volunteer or foster, there's information about that as well. Or you can come see us at 4451 Pine Forest Road, Milton, Florida. And then if you have questions, just give us a call at 850-983-4680.
1: I'll also drop in for a video. I I tend to do those at various places, but oh uh,
2: yeah, that'd be great. We should
1: go in and and do a video tour, do a Facebook Live, you know. And here I am, live Action Radio. Yeah, and here's Charlie the the animal shelter doggy.
2: Absolutely,
1: yeah. Okay, that sounds good. Um, If anybody missed the contact information, listen to the podcast. That's why we make them. And the last question I had. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you've been asked this. Um, are dogs happier doing what they're bred for? So, in other words, should hunting dogs be hunting? Should herding dogs be herding? Should g- dogs be guarding? You know, should yapping dogs uh, be yapping? I mean, should laptops be whapping. Yapping. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm just
2: Designer dogs be carried in a purse, absolutely. Um, exactly. I think yeah. as a whole, if if, if they – I think they are happier – I think they are happy doing – what they like to do, but I don't necessarily think that they can't be happy doing other things. But you have to keep in mind the lifestyle that you have and making sure that you can accommodate your pet. If you're going to get a dog that, like we see lots of hound dogs that come in and they were hunting dogs and maybe not the most cared for, and they get adopted out and they're house dogs, and they're, they're happy, and they're doing great. So if you're actively going to, Especially you know, cooking. if you have a working breed, they are going to be happier right. if they get to exercise that part of themselves. But doesn't mean they can't be a fabulous house dog, too, as long as you're, you know, have, giving them a balanced life, I think.
1: Yeah, like huskies are bred for pulling sleighs or sleds. Yeah, and I mean, Sled we don't dogs. have a
2: lot of sleds here in Florida, so you just got to figure something out for them that's going to give them that opportunity to get that energy out. And, and then, yeah. then there'll be a house dog after that. But, you know, you have to give an outlet to them. If they're not going to do basically what they're kind of intended to do, make sure they have a good outlet for that energy. But doesn't mean they can't be happy if they're not specifically doing, you know, St. Bernard's, okay, we don't have any snow here for them to rescue people, but you can find <laughs> something for them to do that, that's going to make them feel like, okay, I did a job or whatever it is, you know, to make them happy and get that physical exercise and still make them a good pet and they'll be happy dogs or cats. Cats,
1: yeah, cats to, kind of do what
2: the, they want, so that's a
1: whole different issue. Well, cats. we well, should, should do some more on cats because cats are quite fascinating. But uh, mm-hmm. like the Bernie's Mountain Dogs and the Saint Bernards, those are rescue dogs. I mean, that that bottle of whiskey under their uh, their, their right. neck is it was, it was there for a reason, and that would probably be a first aid kit now because it's not politically correct to have dogs running around, uh, you know, passing booze. But uh, right. it's just, but it's fascinating. <laughs> um, if you have time for another question, uh, more intelligent dog mm-hmm. breeds. And I don't want to think of dogs as, like, less intelligent, but there's some notables. Border Collies, German Shepherds. I think Aussie mm-hmm. Shepherds are pretty smart, too. There's certain dog breeds that are really intelligent. And I, yeah. don't, I don't know how you measure that in dogs, but probably the herding dogs and the hunting dogs, so they have to be. You know, the lap dogs, they, they could be stupid. What, they, you know, what do you care? As long as right. they come to call yeah. them, You know, they sit there and just, you know, we just pet them and they yap and they're fine. But uh, mm-hmm. smarter breeds, are they more work uh, do they take care of themselves more? Do they need more amusing? I think
2: they can. I think they can be more work, only because sometimes you know, hey, if they're smarter than the owner, that could be a problem. You know, and that does happen occasionally. But um, I think as a whole, um, they're so they're our intelligent, and they're going to need mental stimulation as well as physical exercise. So you have to make sure to provide all of that. So it may be more work for the owner, but you know, you can do a lot more things with them than maybe you couldn't do with just a, a dog that just like wants to hang out and just you know be fluffed up all the time but you know maybe you can there's lot, so many activities there's agility programs there's search and rescue there's so many things that you can do with your dog that would kind of suffice them and but yeah ideally if you get a super intelligent dog mm-hmm. sometimes it could be a little more work but it's really awesome though because there's so many options for what you can do with your pet if they you know and like for example shepherds you know they can make amazing amazing family pets but they are a working right. breeds, so you just have to make sure that you balance out what they need mm-hmm. as a as a dog, you know, for what they're doing at home. Like if if they're home, and, and not to say every shepherd is going to be like that. Some of them are like, yeah, I'll, I'll be a couch potato. That's cool. But you know, as a whole, if you see that your dog is maybe destructive or, or mm-hmm. antsy or anxious, it may be because they need that mental stimulation or that physical exercise. So just things to think about when you're when you get a pet or if you have a pet and they're maybe just you know, like, oh, I'm frustrated with my dog. Exercise, exercise, exercise is a yeah. way to de-stress your dog. It's great for humans. It's great for pets, too.
1: Hmm. Has anybody ever built, like, a, an obstacle course, like, for the police training dogs? I mean, I... I envision myself, if I ever do get a dog or two, they're probably going to be guard dogs mm-hmm. when I have the action radio compound and I'm world famous and everybody's trying, to, <laughs> the deep states coming after me, which they will. I mean, I fully anticipate this. I'm, I'm still waiting for my FBI arrest. Uh, that's just It's just a matter of time now. Anyway, <laughs> you might joke about that, but if they do arrest me, I'm going to make fun of them. So it's going to be really interesting. I'm not going to be the person they want to arrest. Uh, it's going to be hysterical. <laughs> anyway, that's what we'll talk And about you can
2: actually later. have dogs like... You could have a dog mm-hmm. that sounds scary and, and maybe it's not, mm-hmm. but it could intimidate someone to not come around. So there's that now, too. I want
1: I want one that is really is scary. Um but if you had to I would say a
2: chihuahua would be more likely to bite them than other dogs.
1: Chihuahuas <laughs> really? are little yeah.
2: biters as a whole, but they're great. We love
1: chihuahuas. Oh. But
2: we see they're you know, they're there's usually one one-person dogs, so it's like, if I don't know you, I'm not trusting you. And they might let you pick them up, and then if you sit them down and you go to pick them back up, it might be you've got to reintroduce yourself. So we joke about chihuahuas here, but m- many of the staff members have chihuahuas. So
1: That's hysterical. So yeah, they'd be good for inside, shepherds for outside, but uh, little yappers, little ankle biters. <laughs>
2: yeah, they're, they're very fierce, and they will definitely, they are good um, dogs to let you know if someone's there, they will alert
1: you for sure. So What were they bred for? Uh,
2: you know, I don't really know the history of Chihuahuas. Maybe I know that like the rat terriers had you know, mm-hmm. they were ratters and stuff and then Dotsons were, you know, trained to go in the holes and stuff. So I don't know if Chihuahuas were any you know, that's I should know that, but I do not.
1: That's okay. Make a note for next week. You know, we yeah, you can always I'll come back. I'll say make story. And, yeah. May, or just, you can either like BS me right now, which is always fun. Um, <laughs> although I usually, I usually pick up on it. Um, but also, I mean, the, the questions we don't have, we can always bring up next week. Uh, Marco uh-huh. made a comment. You're not going to like this, but he said, a Chihuahua is not a dog. It's a big rat. Marco, I've got a pet expert here. Go ahead. You want, you want to address him directly? Feel free.
5: Um,
2: so, yes, the consensus is no, that is not correct. They are amazing <laughs> little dogs, and we are Chihuahua fans here, so we say no. Um, they are just very particular. So if you went over a Chihuahua, you consider yourself very, um, very likable. Um, if they don't mm-hmm. like you, don't take it personal, but if they do like you, that's kind of a badge of honor.
1: Well, that's interesting. Yeah, but you gotta have a big name for a Chihuahua. You gotta name them like Spartacus or Hercules <laughs> or, or uh, you know, Attila the Hun. You know, I mean, you gotta have a good name for your dog. Yeah, a human, you gotta have
2: something with some might to it. Yes,
1: absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's that saying? It's, it's not the the size of the dog in the fight; it's the size of the fight in the dog.
2: Well, Chihuahuas you definitely, one? you know, they have gumption yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. They are they are uh, strong little little dogs. Like when we see a Chihuahua here, like chances of getting bit from the chihuahua versus the pit bull is going to be the chihuahua that would bite you before the pit bull. So pit bulls have a bad rap, but generally, I mean, they're big babies for the most part, depending on, you know, sometimes we do see a a naughty dog, but generally sometimes it's it's where they were or the, you know, the places they came from, whereas chihuahuas just kind of have that about them. They're a little feisty. And not to downgrade chihuahuas because I had a chihuahua in the past, and I think they're wonderful little dogs, but
1: but they're not for everyone yeah but <laughs> there's always a butt in there I can always see them coming. It's funny, yeah, all right, okay, well, uh, let's hold it for this week. Uh, I've got a ton of course oh. stuff I have to do, um okay. and I don't want to keep it too long, but you're only going to ha- usually you're only going to have half an hour simply because uh, when Derek's here, but he's been off for the summertime because he's a busy guy, uh, so oh, we okay, occasionally good. have a little bit extra well, time yeah so this well, is Well, we good.
2: appreciate <laughs> you letting us talk about animals, and if anybody's uh-huh. interested, please come on down to the shelter and see if you can find a match.
1: We'll see the contact information one more time since we do have a sure. little bit of extra this morning.
2: Sure. It's Santa Rosa. Fl. Gov/animals. Our phone number is nine eight three four six eight zero, and we are at four four five one Pine Forest Road, Milton, Florida. And we're open eleven thirty to four thirty, Monday through Friday. Wednesdays we're actually open till six thirty, and then Saturdays we're here ten till three thirty.
1: Wow, perfect. You're still good at this. Are you sure you haven't done radio oh, for you. for a long time, or you
2: know? Maybe in another life. Not not this oh, one.
1: Okay. Now. Yeah, you should get your own show. You get your own pet show. Get on Blog Talk. Do a pet show. Uh-huh.
2: Oh yeah, it sounds good.
1: <laughs> do like a Saturday, you know, a couple hours, maybe an hour. Who knows? It's fun.
2: Yeah, just I can talk about animals forever, so you know.
1: That's why you're on. <laughs> That's why you're on the show
2: because I, I don't have <laughs> yeah. people
1: that aren't enthusiastic about their topic. There's no fun in that. Oh
2: yeah. All right, Charlie.
1: We do. Thank you.
2: All right, thank you so much.
1: Let's talk next week.
2: All right, see you then. Thanks. There
1: go. Okay, you're welcome. Bye now. So I've got a couple of uh, production numbers that I did uh, last night, actually. One of them I'm going to play. I think the, it might be the music might be a little quiet, so I'm going to have to uh, check on that. But uh, I, I got a, um, you know, I, I've been giving the information, the website, a little bit too late in the show, like the end of it, because that's when I think of it. And so I figured it would make more sense just to play, uh, make my own little promo uh, that has the, the action radio information so I don't have to keep repeating, because I hate repeating things. I just do. I, I'd rather have original thoughts every single second of the show. So I made this, and I'll be playing this pretty much... I should be playing this every day, maybe once or twice a day, depending. Maybe at the beginning of the show, maybe at the end. But anyway, here's my new uh, contact information um, piece. Here is your Action Radio contact and website information. Our show site is blogtalkradio.com slash Action live, and podcast. Please share all our shows. Our bill writing site is WriteYourLaws.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, WriteYourLaws.com. This is where anyone can write a bill and start the process of it becoming law. Our paid and free subscription column is at gregpenglis.substack.com. Please consider a paid subscription of $5 per month or greater. Contributions, please go to givesandgocom slash action radio. We have over 20 Action Radio Facebook groups. Use the Facebook search window by putting Action Radio in it. My public email is greg at writeyourlaws.com. Please contact me about advertising on Action Radio and beat the coming rush. And now back to our regularly scheduled program. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Panklos Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stars Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stars Automotive. I go there. You should too. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? All right, so uh, I think I'm gonna have to change that one a little bit because we don't get back to our regularly scheduled program if I'm going to play commercials. And so a lot of times it happens. I'll, I'll make something, and then I have to modify it. Um, but uh, at least the, the music balance is good. And it, It's weird because I have uh, my Adobe Audition software, which allows me to produce these things, but it never quite sounds the same on the show. Uh, sometimes the music is louder or softer, and, and uh, so it requires adjustments. But I can't test it unless I play it on the show. And so that one probably needs a little, little bit of work. But uh, I'll I'll worry about that um, in a little bit. So let's get to where's my uh, my my, uh, broadcast music here. Okay, let's get to uh, let's get to the real news, which is the court case. Okay, so we did the first 55 pages of it yesterday, and I don't read everything, um, but I make a lot of comments as we go through it, but this is such an incredible case. I figure it was worth uh, devoting uh, another show to, and possibly even Monday, depending on how far I get, but I think we've got the rest of the show today. I'm still not sure. I'm guessing Cowgirl Candace is not going to be able to join us. Uh, I might play her theme (laughs) just uh, just to test it out and see if it needs adjusting. Like I say, the music might be a little quiet. But again, I, you know, what what I get on this on the software I want to get, you know, when I actually uh, play the show uh, or play it uh, when it gets into my music folder and then play it on the show, they're all different. And so it, it's kind of a, a guess a lot of times as to how to do it. So it, sometimes it takes two or three times to get it right. But once, you know, but it's a theme that, you know, if I play every time someone comes on, I want it to be right. So anyway, that's what's going on here. So this case, um, let me just pull up all my, my stuff again. So it's going to block out. Michael's uh, comments for a little bit here. So, But it, I still have the phone open. So if anybody wants to call in while I'm doing this, feel free. Two one five three eight three three eight three two. And where we started, wh- where we left off was with ivermectin. And so just to let you know, um, well, let me tell you a couple of things. Uh, probably the most interesting thing is that everything that the plaintiffs are complaining about, that the government um, suppressed illegally and told social media to basically take out in terms of uh, posts, uh, other content, uh, messages and um, actual accounts and websites, uh, all the stuff that uh, the plaintiffs are complaining about, we've done here on the show. And so we've been suppressed in all these same areas too. So it's another section, which is factual background. So it's early in the court case. And it says, in this case, plaintiffs allege the defendants, that would be the, the illegal Brandon and his stooges, uh, suppress conservative-leaning free speech. And of course, that's what we do, right? Such as, number one, Suppressing the Hunter Biden laptop story prior to the 2020 presidential election. Well, yeah, we talked about that, you know, for as soon as the story came out. Two, suppressing speech about the lab leak theory of COVID-19's origin. Well, we talked about that February 25th uh, of 2020 with Bill Gertz and talked about it pretty much ever since, although we got bored with the story. So when it came back three years later, it's like, we've already done this. We did this in 2020. What's wrong? Where, where have you guys been? Number two, suppressing speech about – oh, I read that. I'm sorry. Number three, suppressing speech about the efficiency of masks and COVID-19 lockdowns. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we started talking about that uh, March 27th with a bill saying that um, Congress could only spend half the money on, on vaccines. Um, oh, actually, that was a different. One. That's the next one. Um, anyway, masks and COVID lockdowns. March 2nd, 2020. First show we broadcast that the uh, government response is a hoax, that uh, you know, masks are you know, not going to be uh, effective and, and lockdowns are unconstitutional. Masks are unconstitutional, too. So basically we said that masks are completely unconstitutional. Uh, my video, March 21st, in the middle of the 15 days to slow the spread, is a whole 20 minutes on why everything the government is doing is unconstitutional. So, yeah, we're speaking out against that. Uh, Suppressing the number four, suppressing speech about the efficiency of COVID vaccines. Yeah, we again, March 2nd, 2020, we start talking about that. Number five, suppressing speech about election integrity in the 2020 presidential election. Well, I think having General McInerney two weeks after the 2020 election document exactly how it was stolen. Yeah, I think that would qualify us. Number six, suppressing speech about the security of voting by mail. Yep. We've always thought that was a, a total crock. Number seven, suppressing parody content about defendants. Oh, parody content about defendants. Let me see if I have any parody content about defendants. That would be illegal branding. So let me just uh, move this to over here and let me pull up uh, my, my parody. <laughs> Here's my parody against defendants, which I play on a regular basis. Joe Biden's Dark Winter. No freedom, no liberty. No guns, no representation, no oil, no coal, no nuclear power, no space force, no constitution, no family gatherings, no vacations, just taxes, work, misery, masks, lockdowns, and ever more government. This is what will happen if you let Marxists steal the election. This has been a public service announcement of Action Radio, reminding you it's time to get off your butt and save your country. Yeah, I think that qualifies. So the funny thing about that was I made it before the 2020 election under the assumption that there's no way that Joe Biden could ever beat uh, Donald Trump in a free and fair election. Of course, it wasn't a free and fair election, and that's why he was then installed in the house. What else we got here? Number uh, eight, suppressing negative posts about the economy. Oh yeah, we've got a lot of negative posts about the economy. We're the ones that have been calling inflation for about a year and a half. Uh, we're the ones that uh, said that uh, we have a, a bill to ban Congress from borrowing money. There's a lot of negative things. We said Janet Yellen and uh, uh, that guy Powell are complete idiots, uh, or they're just lying. Uh, more likely, they're lying. They're they're paid. To say uh, the economy is great, just like the climate scientists, the government scientists are paid to say that there is such a thing as, as climate change and it's going to ruin the earth, which, of course, is nonsense. Um, and the last one here, supporting negative, suppressing negative quotes about, well, I, I don't even call him President Biden. You can't do that on my show. So you want to talk about uh, being suppressed for what we say, we call him, uh, well, his name keeps changing. Uh, Insurrectionist Brandon, I call him Illegal Brandon now. Illegal Brandon and the government stooges. You know, it's like uh, Dr. Fascist and the health Nazis. Everybody has their own term. Uh, Speaking of which, I want to introduce a new term to you as well. Uh, And that is, uh, you know, we're not going to say, you know, transgender anymore on the show. Usually I reserve that for uh, Republicans that are trying to become Democrats. So we call them transgender Democrats because it's funny. (laughs) But my new term is trans-neutered. So since it's impossible to change your sex, it's impossible to change your DNA. Um, I came to the conclusion, I guess, a couple of months ago that the only thing you can do with trans... Is basically uh, cosmetic and elective surgery and drug therapy, or, or drug treatment, or drugs. So let's just call it elective surgery, elective cosmetic surgery, and drugs. That's what you can do. So, but you don't actually change sex. Is what you actually do is remove the sex that you have by removing the, the, the parts and the hormones uh, that made you uh, the sex that you were. And you still have the chromosomes, so you haven't changed. But what you've done is actually neutered yourself. And so I want to introduce a new term, transneutered. So if you've been through elective uh, and, and some people choose that as adults, and that's fine. If you choose that as an adult and you're fully informed and you go through the process and you believe you're going to be happier, then I would not stop you from doing it. Uh, I won't pay for it. Uh, taxpayers should never pay for this because this is elective surgery. Uh, but if a person wants to go through elective surgery and drugs to become transneutered, fine with me. It's, this is America. You can do that. Uh, if, you try, if you realize you made a mistake, you want to try and reverse it. You'll never be who you were, and that's why the problem. So the first thing that people should, uh, you know, if you want to try and live as the opposite sex, dress like them, act like them, but don't change your body. No drugs, no surgery. Uh, but that's a new term, trans-neutered. We'll be introducing that uh, as well. I've got a lot of other things to do, but I want to do the court case first, because it is just so uh, fascinating. Uh, again, what the judge gets right and what the judge does not get right. And so we'll go into that in a little bit. So let's get to, we've covered, we covered up through. Uh, hydroxychloroquine and the Great Barrington Declaration. We did that last time, and so let's 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 skip down here to page fifty 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 six of the court case. And the court case is titled. Excuse me. Let me let me get you the, the the actual title of the court case so that you guys can find it uh, online if you want to. I think I'm a little cold coming out. Not much one though. Sam, I've been basically immune ever since I had COVID. It's kind of funny. So this is the United States District Court, Western District of Louisiana, Monroe Division. Uh, and this would be uh the judge is Terry A. Doty, D O U G H T Y. And it's just doing an incredible job uh with this case. All right, so having said that, let me get my uh my my stuff up here so I can now get back to page fifty six. Scroll, 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 scroll. I wish I had a place where I could just go to page fifty six, but you can scroll so fast through this, it's kind of fun. Page fifty six. And our new category is uh number four of the of the the um where's my, the various things are the the, the government was suppressing, ivermectin. So pick up our story on page 56. If you want to hear the previous story, go to yesterday's show, where we talked about the court case for a couple hours also. Uh, And the the judge says on September 13, 2021, Facebook emailed Carol Croft of the CDC to ask whether the claim that ivermectin is effective in treating COVID is false. And if believed, uh, could contribute to people refusing the vaccine or self-medicating. The CDC responded the next day and advised Facebook that the claim that ivermectin is effective in treating COVID is, quote, not accurate. Now, we know that's false, too. The CDC cited the NIH's treatment guidelines for authority that the claims were not accurate. Okay, so so we know the story of ivermectin, right? So both ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine had to, even though they were legal and approved and proven safe for decades, had to be made uh, illegal and unsafe by the government in order to get the emergency use authorization uh, to push their illegal uh, and experimental um, and messenger RNA. So in order to, to get the COVID shots um, authorized, not approved, but authorized, in order to get the COVID shots authorized, they had to take the legal treatments and make them illegal and then make their illegal treatment of the vaccine legal. That's what happened. So that's they reversed it to because the law clearly says you cannot get an experimental use authorization when there is a perfectly legal approved drug that does the same thing or better. And as we know, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin work far better. (laughs) You know, they're completely safe compared to the COVID jab, which is causing sudden death and injuries and all kinds of critical problems. So the law was right. If they simply followed the law and said, well, we really like to bring out these, these uh, you know, quote, unquote, vaccines, messenger RNA. You know, they really want to bring out the COVID shots, but we can't because we've got treatments that actually work. So we don't have to bring them out. Let's test them for 15 years and prove them safe, and then we'll bring them out. That would have been the lawful thing to do. But they didn't want to do that because they want the billions now because they're psychopaths, because they're greedy. And so, so the uh, Dr. fascists, the health Nazis, big pharma and big uh, uh, tech said, uh, we'll all work together and we'll get these COVID shots into people's arms as quickly as possible. And to do that, they had to take the legal and make them illegal so they could take the illegal and make them legal and make their money. That's the story of ivermectin. All right, next one, mask mandates, number five. Plaintiffs maintain that Dr. Fascist, I'm going to call him Dr. Fascist even though it says Fauci in the court case, but uh, that's his name. That's his name on Action Radio, so I'm going to keep using it. Plaintiffs maintain that Dr. Fascist initially did not believe masks, masks worked but he changed his stance. Yeah, how about that? (laughs) Uh, February 4th, 2020, in a February 24th, it says a February 4th, 2020 email in which Dr. Faschus responded to an email from Sylvia Burwell stated, quote, the typical mask you buy in a drugstore is not really effective in keeping out the virus, which is small enough to pass through, man pass through, it says, mankind. Uh, It then says Dr. Faschus stated that at the time there were no studies on the efficacy of masks to stop the spread. March 31st, 2020, a short month, uh, almost uh, a month, three weeks later, Dr. Fash has forwarded the studies showing that masking is ineffective. And it's true. And we know masks are ineffective because the, it even said on the box. You guys remember the box? Remember what it said on the box? You know, it does not uh, stop viral transmission. Hey, guess what? So all those masks out of China, those blue masks everybody's wearing, wearing, and the cotton, of course, the cotton masks especially did nothing. It was like decorations wearing a handkerchief, right? And those things did nothing Uh, because masks are a whole lot smaller than the spaces between a cotton fiber mask uh, and a blue paper mask or whatever those things were, Um, besides all the chemicals and parasites that were on them. You know, uh, I'm not even going to go into it. Anyway, so the the, the court case says plaintiffs allege that Dr. Fash's position on masking changed dramatically on April 3rd. That's like uh, two months later, February, yeah, from February 4th and all of a sudden April 3rd, 2020, when he became an advocate for universal mask mandates. Why? I'll tell you why. Because of control. Masks had nothing to do with health. They had everything to do with control and violating your constitutional rights and seeing what they could get away with. But the court case says Dr. Fasch testified his position changed in part because, quote, evidence began accumulating that masks actually work in preventing acquisition and transmission. Although Dr. Fasch could not identify those studies. So in other words, he made it up. So So the judge is actually accusing him of making up stuff, which he did. Because how can something... Uh, go from being completely ineffective in stopping a virus to being completely effective in stopping a virus when the thing itself does not change? And the answer is it can't. So they made that up. And why did they make that up? Because they needed to preserve COVID. And the best way to preserve COVID was to, to, was to create fear because fear suppresses the immune system. So the ultimate purpose of masks, social distancing, lying, switching to cases instead of deaths was so the CDC, NIH, FDA, Fascist cabal of Dr. Dr. Fascist and the, uh, the health Nazis, big government health, big pharma, and big tech, was to create fear. That's what the master for. Massacre or fear creator. All right. Number six, Alex Berenson. Alex Berenson was a former New York Times science reporter and critic of government messaging about COVID-19 vaccines. He was deplatformed from Twitter August 28th, 2021. Dr. Fascist had previously sought to discredit Berenson publicly during an interview with CNN. Dr. Fascist does not deny that he may have discussed Berenson with White House or federal officials, but doesn't recall specifically whether he did so. See, he never, he's never accountable, right? He never does anything. See, this is the problem with Dr. Fascist. He's a psychopath, right? You know, he knows damn well what he does, but he, oh, I can't recall. Let I me mean, do it. get my Dr. Fascist voice. Yeah, I don't really remember. You know, it's been a long time. You know, because there's these complex things that I'm doing here with, with the you know the mask mandate and the and the vaccines. And if you want to prevent, you know, uh, transmission, you got to wear a mask. Even though I said you don't have to wear a mask, now I'm saying you have to wear a mask. Well, what changed? Nothing. What changed was he realized he had to preserve COVID. And whoever pulls his strings told him to do it. All right, this is now next we got here page 58. FBI defendants did the, the deposition of Elvis Chan. Uh, this is the guy you see on One American News all the time these days, was taken on November 9th, 29th, 2021. Oh, let me talk about something interesting here. I forgot about this. So, so the masks, so Dr. Fashion has changed his opinion on masks on April 3rd. Now, we already came out in March saying this is all a crock, right? So he actually changed his position after we said that they don't work. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, but anyway, so we're, I, I like to think that we were ahead of everybody. All right, back to the FBI. Uh, Chan, Elvis Chan, is the assistant special agent in charge of the cyber branch for the San Francisco division of the FBI. See, the, San Francisco, along with California, was rabid uh, anti-constitutional uh, constitutionalists in their, uh, their pushing of all the unconstitutional things that uh, were involved with COVID, right? Excuse me, right? Judge says in this role, Chan was one of the primary people communicating with social media platforms about disinformation on behalf of the FBI. So the FBI is hugely implicated in, uh, in this injunction. Uh, they're the other ones, I mean, the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, federal law enforcement is telling, that's intimidating, first of all, because they're operating under color of law. So everything they did was illegal under Title 18, Section 242, you know, violating constitutional rights under color of law, besides being illegal under Title 18, Section 241 suppressing the exercise or enjoyment of constitutional rights by all of these def- all of these plaintiffs, right? So the government's actually the defendant. This is what makes it so much fun. Then he also says, Judge says, there are also other agents on different side squads, along with the FBI's private sector engagement squad, who re- relay information to social media platforms. Chan graduated from the Naval Postgraduate School in 2020 with an MA in Homeland Security Studies. <laughs> I didn't know there was such a thing, right? I'm not sure where the, I guess the Naval Postgraduate School, that would be Annapolis, I'm guessing. Anyway, his thesis was entitled Fighting Bears and Trolls, an analysis of social media companies and U.S. government efforts to combat Russian influence campaigns during the 2020 election. So this guy's got a master's and he wrote a thesis in how the government can suppress free speech. <laughs> That's fascinating. How much more evidence do you need? So this guy studied it, you know, in, graduate, in postgraduate school. He's got a master's uh, in Homeland Security Studies, and his thesis was about how the government can uh, falsify information and control and manipulate information. Fascinating. Okay, I got enough about Chan. Let me skip down here to the next one. Uh, so we've got uh, page 68. Let's go to 68. Let's go to site. The FBI's got a ton of things that they did wrong. I'll spare you that. You can read the, um, uh, read the thing. Oh, see. oh, here's something. I'm just kind of skip it down here. Here's the thing it says, this is on page uh, 63, Zuckerberg, you know, the master of meta, which is actually Facebook. Zuckerberg testified before Congress. I haven't read this yet, so I'm, I'm just going cold on this one. Zuckerberg testified before Congress, October 28th, 2020, stating that the FBI conveyed a strong risk or expectation from a foreign hack and leak operation shortly before the 2020 election. Yeah, so this, this, is, this is how we know the 2020 election was stolen, because everybody, was, everybody in the government uh, was manipulating information. Uh, now, it's interesting that the 2020 election was when Trump was still in office. So all this government manipulation of, of uh, social media took place while Trump was president. And it was taking place without his knowledge, consent, approval, or anything. They were just doing it anyway. That's the deep state. So the deep state operates independently of the Trump administration. They just do what they damn will please because the deep state was already planning to get rid of Trump and install Brandon. And it's obvious from their actions that they took before the 2020 election it couldn't be clear. Now, the case doesn't go into that because that's not the issue before the judge. The issue is free speech and the First Amendment. But it's clearly obvious that that was the intent of the deep state was to suppress anything that got in the way of COVID because they used COVID for for, uh, mail-in voting and everything else to steal the election. um, And because they want to manipulate social media so they can control thought. Well, they can't control my thought. And guess what? I'm still broadcasting. So there. All right. Huh. After the Hunter Biden laptop story broke on October fourth, twenty twenty, Demlow, I guess it's an FBI stooge, refused to comment on the status of Hunter. Okay, let's skip all that. You know about the Hunter Biden story. Let's go to page sixty-eight. Let's take our next topic here as we go through this. Uh, might be shorter today. Shorter you know, we say that, but you never know. Uh, Siza. Okay, now this is something I'm not as familiar with. Siza. This is the Siza defendants, and this is page sixty-eight uh, of the court case. And we'll see where it stands, what, that, what that means in a minute. I think it's Center for Intelligence, Security, something. But these people, it's one of these dark agencies that you really don't know much about that wield an enormous power behind the scenes, um, reinforcing the deep state against freedom and uh, the republic. So SISA, this is part E. The deposition of Brian Scully was taken on January 12, 2023, as part of an injunction-related discovery in this matter. So it actually took a lot of discovery. The SISA is part one. The SISA regularly meets with social media platforms in several types of standing meetings. Well, that's interesting. Scully is the chief of SISA's mis-, Dis, and Malinformation Team. That's the MDM, <laughs> as opposed to the mainstream media MSM. It's pretty much the same thing. The, 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 this, this government agency has a mis-, Dis, and Malinformation Team. What, causing it? <laughs> Allegedly to try and stop it, right? That's what they, we're trying to stop, mis-, Dis, and, and Malinformation. But they're actually causing it. So taxpayers' money is actually paying the government to to take away our free speech rights. It's fascinating. Anyway, this is prior to, and I can't say this, I'll say Insurrectionist Brandon taking office. The MDM team was known as the Countering Foreign Influence Task Force, the CFITF. I'd give them a different name. And it says Tentis is the engagement's lead for the MDM team, and she is in charge. I don't know who Protensis is. It's a new name for me. She's in charge of outreach and engagement and key stakeholders. Oh, it's a world economic forum word. Interagency partners and private sector partners. Partners? Private sector partners. That would be social media, whether they're willing or not, right, which includes social media platforms. So there you go. Scully performed Protensis' duties while she was on maternity leave. Both Scully and Protensis have done extended detail at the National Security Council, where they work on misinformation and disinformation issues. Hey, who's the head of the National Security Council? Is that Susan Rice, the Obama operative? So Obama is all over this. Now, he hasn't said so. Judge Doty has not pulled Obama into this. But Obama's fingerprints are all over this. You know, as the master of uh, constitutional disruption, you know, uh, Obama... Has no relationship with the Constitution, no faith or integrity when it comes to, uh, you know, even understanding what it means to be an American. This guy is a communist, Muslim, uh, terrorist, totalitarian dictator. He is probably the most dangerous person in the country today because he's running the country behind the scenes. And guess what? Both the Democrats and the Republicans are letting him get away with it. All right, back to uh, Scully Testify. All right, let me just get this too, so you know what size it is. There's nothing more to gain here. I have a lot of material to cover. Now, Where do we get to the good stuff? We're not even there yet. Okay, so this, this is what he's doing is presenting evidence. Now if the evidence is presented, then he'll make the case a little bit later. So let's get to one more here. Uh, sixty-nine, sixty-nine. 70. Let's get to the State Department, page seventy-eight. Yes, your State Department, the diplomacy folks, the folks that uh, run the embassies and the consulates, the folks that are there for foreign policy, the people that gave you Mao's Communist China by withholding arms from uh, Chiang Kai-shek, the people that uh, that, uh, under Hillary gave uh, Putin 20% of our uranium. This is your State Department, the people that are full of communists, full of insurrectionists, full of people that hate America, and totally worthless in terms of helping this country. Yet there they are. Page seventy eight of the court case, State Department defendants, the GEC. What is that? It says Daniel Kimmage is the principal it's the only people you've never heard of, right? So the deep state's full of deep people you never you've never heard of. Daniel Kimmage is the principal direct deputy coordinator of the State Department's Global Engagement Center. That is the GEC. Never heard of them. The GEC's front office and senior leadership meets with social media platforms every few months, sometimes quarterly. I guess they're all buds, right? The meetings focus on the tools and techniques of stopping the spread of disinformation on social media, but they rarely discuss specific content that is posted. Additionally, GEC has a technology engagement team called TET, (laughs) remember the TET offensive, right? That also meets with social media companies. The TET meets more frequently than the GEC. So here's what I'm getting from all this. The uh, insurrectionist government, the coup, of the deep state, has multiple departments, uh, multiple agencies in multiple departments. Let me say that again. Has multiple agencies in multiple departments, the State Department, the FBI, the Justice Department, the uh, CDC, the FDA, um, all these different groups, National Security Council. They all have their own social media control mechanism, every single one of them. What takes time to build that much infrastructure? So the question is, how long has this been going on? So we're not in the age of information anymore. We're in the age of disinformation. So let me go through a theory that uh, I came up with, and I'm going to be writing an article on this in a little bit. And let me make a little note of my time here, 8.17, just because I think this is going to be something that people may want to refer back to. Uh, And that is the the psychopathy that these people are under. So last night I'm watching... Um, Rob Schmidt is one of my favorite newscasters. He's on on Newsmax, Newsmax 7 Eastern, 6 Central, 5 Mountain, 4 Pacific, PM. And he had a guest on, he had two guests on. He had Dennis Prager, who's, you know, third of a decent guy, who apparently wasn't really good at this particular argument. I wish I was up there on the news instead. But she had a woman named Crystal something, I forgot her last name, uh, who was the government stooge. And her job was basically to lie. And she was perfect at talking about the government lie that we have to protect the public interest by getting rid of misinformation. And I'm thinking about how do you combat this kind of lie? Because this is obviously what they're really doing is taking out stuff that goes against you know, their, their power base and their, their goals and their, their, their complete control of the country and their tyranny. So in other words, what they call misinformation is really the truth that fights the tyranny. That's what they're calling misinformation. So I'm thinking is, you know, how would you argue against somebody like this? And I came to the conclusion that you have to ask them a question. And the question I would have asked Crystal and any of these, any other of these government stooges that says, we ha- like, or Jen S- Psaki, that are saying that um, we have to uh, protect the public from misinformation, I would ask them, is the government ever wrong? And the reason I ask the question, is the government ever wrong, because in order To guard the public against misinformation, you have to always know what's true and what's misinformation. Right? So if you say, if you ask the question, is the government ever wrong? There are two possible answers. Well, maybe three possible answers. Yes, no, or maybe. I haven't really thought about maybe. Let's talk about yes. Is the government ever wrong? Yes. Okay. If the government stooges answer yes, the government can be, you know, is wrong, then you say, well, how can you control information and know what truth is if you make mistakes? What if you're wrong about something to Now, we all know there are are hundreds of thousands to millions of people that are walking around in this country today that were successfully treated with ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, vitamin D3, vitamin C, and zinc. We know that because they're still around. It'd be interesting to do a poll. We also know that probably up to a million people were killed in hospitals uh, with remdesivir ventilator death marches. We know that, and we know that we can't talk to those people because they're gone. So if the government can be wrong, maybe they can be wrong about ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, and if they are, they can cost a million lives. And it was up to individuals with free information uh, that could have been saved. They could have saved 90% or more of the people that were killed in the in their remdesivir ventilator death march with the truce. So yes, the government, the government can be wrong. And if they say yes, well then you can't be, you can't be trusted uh, with any kind of, uh, of censorship of guarding information because you don't know what misinformation is. And what if you're, if you're wrong? You could, also be, could you, you could also be the perpetrators of misinformation, either willingly or unwillingly. So therefore, you cannot possibly be the guardians of what's public interest because you don't even know because you could be wrong. Now, here's the other possible answer. What if they say no? What if they say no? The government is never wrong. Well, that's, that's psychopathic. <laughs> that's, that's delusional. Okay. That's power, mad, uh, mass psychosis. So all these people that, so if they say, no, the government's never wrong, which I'd love them to say, actually, then you say that you're psychotic. Okay. Because everybody is wrong. Sometime every organization is wrong. Sometime it is impossible to be perfect. All right. Jesus Christ and God. All right. But other than that, (laughs) okay. For us mortals down here, we make mistakes. Lots of them. I make mistakes all the time, but I also correct them. If I make a mistake and someone points it out, or I find it, I'll correct it. No problem. But I'm not so arrogant to think that I'm always right. I mean, I put out things all the time. Are they always right? Hell no. (laughs) Do I put them out anyway? Sure. Oh, boy, uh, we've got a lot of uh, websites here from uh, Marcos, probably Chihuahua Pictures. (laughs) This is an early part of the show. But think about that. If you ask a government official who says we have to control misinformation and it's in the public interest, we have to safeguard the public, then the question is, of course, safeguard the public from what? Well, the answer is truth. Uh, and uh, the whole point is that the government, of course the government can be wrong. And it's the point of us free speakers to point out when the government is wrong. That's how free speech works. But if they're the guardians, if they're the only ones that can uh, determine what's what's truth and what's misinformation, then the only way they can be successful at that is to always be right. Since they can't always be right, they can't possibly be trusted as the moderators of free speech and the controllers of censorship. Censorship's wrong anyway. And I'm just arguing this from, a, from a, a logic point of view. So think about that for a second. Now, if the government says maybe, well, maybe they can be right or maybe they can be wrong. Well, if you don't even know then you certainly can't be trusted, you can't even determine an answer. So that's what I would say. If they say, yes, we're absolutely right all the time, I say that's insane because nobody's absolutely right all the time. So that you've just defeated your argument. You cannot be trusted you know, uh, being the guardians of, uh, public, of public safety, you know, through controlling what you call misinformation. If they say, no, they're never wrong. That's psychotic. That's irrational. And because of that, they certainly can't be trusted of controlling information. What they say is in the public interest. And then if you say, maybe, maybe we can be right. Maybe we can be wrong. Well, that kind of wishy washy, um, neutral, I don't care kind of attitude, um, is, uh, is also proving that they cannot be, trust, cannot be trusted acting in the public interest by controlling the information. So the last possible answer, the one that the FBI and KGB give all the time, when they're asked how many operatives from the FBI were there January 6th, they say, I can't answer the question. So the other possible alternative is for these people to say, well, I can't answer that question. Whether the government's always right or always wrong, I, I can't. I can't answer that question. So that, to me, is implications of a cover-up. So in other words, you can't even provide the information to show that you can be the safeguards of information. So again, the government can't do it. So I can argue yes, no, maybe, or I can't answer the question. as to why the government cannot be uh, in charge of information uh, in, in the public interest without even using the Constitution. And yet the Constitution by itself prohibits the government from controlling free speech. So I don't even need that argument, but I thought I'd make it anyway uh, just so that they understand how deeply these people are flawed. How psychotic they are. How power mad and controlling they are. How they're under their own government mass psychosis. Ooh, new, I like that term. Government. Marco, what do you think? Government mass psychosis. I have to look that I may have to write an article on this. What is government mass psychosis? That's the delusion that they're always right. Delusion that they are always right. Uh, go to panic, and write faster. Always white, right? And can act accordingly. <laughs> That's my mass psychosis. Act accordingly. A-C-C accordingly. There we go. Okay. Is this fun? I <laughs> had a great time. Um, all right. When was my last break? My last break was a while ago. Uh, 825. Let's take break. 825. I'll come back to the case. We still haven't got the good stuff yet. Uh, we're going to. I'm going to skip, uh, probably skip a bunch of stuff here. So in general, I'll go quickly through the other ones because the really interesting stuff um, starts on page 117, Other Arguments. Uh, and then we get to the actual cat, the case itself, uh, the arguments for the case. All right, so we'll do this quickly. Let me just—I'm going to try something here, try an experiment. So it is 825. yeah. So I'm going to play Candice's theme just so I can listen to it um, off the air and see if it's all balanced the way it's supposed to be. And so this—I <laughs> was waiting for—I normally wait for her to come on and to play it, but I need to hear it uh, myself and see if it's even remotely balanced or not. So let me do a little experiment here. So when Candice, Cowgirl Candice, can, when Cowgirl Candice comes back. This is what I'm going to play for. A spirited horse with mane streaming back, blonde hair glistening in the sun, is Cowgirl Candace. With her faithful dog, Traveler, Cowgirl Candice takes you down the back trails, through the swamps, bayous, and forests of the Florida Panhandle. If you believe in the journey, that it's more important than getting there, then this is the report for you. So, mount up, adventurers, take the reins, and let's go. Join us now for Believe the Journey with Cowgirl Candace. says we don't have fun around here <laughs> marco what do you think so actually that worked out well the music was better balanced so it's weird so for my adobe audition software uh the music was balanced and then i i played on my my music um platform uh and it sounded like the music was too quiet now i play it again here and it sounds like it's perfectly balanced so that's just kind of how it works around here so marco <laughs> see marco was like it's kind of like a lone ranger takeoff but uh Uh, The fact that I can use Rossini's William Tell Overture, that's where the original theme comes from. It's not uh, patented or it's not copyright. Uh, This is non-copyright music we use here because I don't have a copyright. You know, I don't want to pay for it. (laughs) So that's how we do it. All right, let me play a couple things. Be right back. Do you know your way around health care, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't Their website is gracecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gracecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. GraceCare, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. This is Greg Penglis for Strikeforce, your source for pure energy. Strikeforce is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, W-Y-L, to the discount code window at checkout Marco says, if you mention government, I always imagine slapstick music. <laughs> That's on our live chat. And the reason I mention it is because if you're listening on the podcast, you don't get live chat. And you should because it's, it's just a whole, whole other um, really cool thing that you can listen to or, or watch as we do the live show. Live shows are more interesting. You can call in. You can type in. You call it the International Skype Line. There's all these different things. Oh, I've got to add the Skype Line. Uh, I've got to add the Skype Line because so I've got to make a new uh, note to myself here. On our contact, I should mention the Skype Line so I have to make a new one anyway. Skype line, S-K-Y-P-E line in promo. I'll make another one. You know, I mean, I'm getting fairly good at these. I can usually make them in one take. <laughs> They're not hard to do. Hard to do. I'm going to take out that line about, and now to our regularly scheduled program, because I might play it in a m- bunch of ads, and I don't want to do that. Uh, but at least the music balance is right, and it seems to work out okay. So, you know, like I say, trial and error. Uh, I love producing these things. I just wish I had time to uh, to do that. All right, back to the case. And I will get some, uh, uh, Marco that's a good idea, slapstick music. uh, I need need a slapstick music or like a Keystone Cops kind of thing. So let me write that down, slapstick music. Stick music. Make it like a government theme. (laughs) So what I'll do is um, I'll bring that on. I'll have like a a one-minute selection. Uh, I got this beautiful uh, sound uh, program called Storybooks. Anybody can get it. It's not a big deal. It's a subscription service one of the many I have for the show. And they provide uh, non-copyright music and sound effects. That's where I get all the stuff that I play on the show. You know, various things here. Uh, I haven't played for a while. Well, let's go through them, actually. I'll show you what I've got. So fun stuff. Uh, I'll give you the short ones. Well, you've heard the commercials. That's all made on Adobe software. But uh, the music behind it, that's all uh, non-copyright music. So let me see if I get you a, close one, a quick one here to play for you. Uh, oh, yeah, this is always my favorite. <laughs> That'll stop an argument. And, uh, of course, our, our crowd cheers. The Hotel Bell. Uh, the infamous. <laughs> you know, if you listen to uh, Wendy's Oh My God Report, I won't play it just because I, that's kind of like reserved, but I, I have this phone ring. <laughs> Mark, I the 80s need their phone, phone ring back, so I got that too. I've got all these different sound effects and things here. Uh, I'll get more. Because they're kind of funny. You never know when you're going to need them. But, uh, yeah, all that stuff here. It's all from, uh, from storybooks. Great uh, great website. All right, let's get back to the uh, the court case. And, again, I think I've got the rest of the show. So, uh, we'll see. All right, so where am I up to now? I've got page 78. 78 is, on oh my guide, State Department. Yeah, so I talked about, a little bit about that. Uh, I think I've had enough of the State Department that, uh, yeah, it's pretty bad stuff. So let will skip that. Let's get to the next one. Uh, page 80. Who's on page? EIP. Oh, this is interesting. This is um, some office. I think it's called the, uh, we'll see where it's defined earlier. Uh, let see if I It's also part of the State Department. So I think it's electronic something integration project or something. Oh, no, it's, it's, the, it's the, oh, I know what it is. It's the election integrity project. From the State Department, right? In other words, oh, you've got have that Russian disinformation. You know, Trump's an agent of Russia, uh, Russia hoax, Russia, Russia, Russia. Yeah, it's a bunch of BS. So page 80 of the, um, of the court case, the EIP, the Election Integrity Project, is partially funded by the United States National Science Foundation through grants. Well, isn't that interesting? There's grant abuse. And it said, the judge says, like its work with SISA, the EIP, the Election Integrity Project, according to DeResta. I guess they were mentioned earlier, was designed to get around unclear legal authorities, including very real First Amendment questions. Get around unclear legal authorities? There's, no, there's nothing unclear about the First Amendment. So in other words, they wanted to get around the Constitution. Let's, let's be blunt. Uh, including very real First Amendment questions. That would arise if CISA, we talked about them earlier, or other government agencies were to monitor and flag information for censorship on social media. So they already knew they were, they were breaking the law. They're break they're they busting the Constitution, breaking the law, doing things that were absolutely prohibited in the, to them to do. So what they they find are what they call workarounds. Well, we just uh, we know we can't do it. We know we can't do it legally, but if we can twist the the law and the Constitution around with our own rationalization, then it's okay. That's illegal too, folks. Then it says the judge says the EIP's focus was on understanding misinformation and disinformation in the social media landscape. In other words, rooting out stuff they didn't agree with. Then he says, and it successfully pushed social media platforms to adopt more restrictive policies about election related speech in 2020. In other words, I show was totally suppressed because we've been calling it an election fraud and a stolen election. We don't even say president brand, president Biden. That's how, that's how strong we are on it. Right? We say illegal Brandon, you know, Brandon's illegals, uh, Brandon, the insurrectionist. We say all kinds of things, but we never say president Biden because he's not. I don't know how much more clear I could get, but that's why we're censored. Hugely. We'll break through one day. Court says the government agencies that work with and submit alleged disinformation to the EIP, the Election Integrity Project, which is anything but election integrity, right? It's election, you know, um, deceiving. It's of the Election Intelligence Project. Use the intelligence to, uh, to disrupt our election. And it says it's the size of the State Department, the Global Engagement Center, and the Elections Infrastructure Information Sharing and Analysis Center. That's the E-I-I-S-A. The ISA? The EIP report further states that the EIP used a tiered model based on tickets collected internally and from stakeholders. That would be, I guess, the social media companies. The tickets also related to domestic speech by American citizens, including accounts belonging to media outlets, that would be us, social media influencers, I hope I am, uh, and political figures. Working on it. The EIP further emphasized that it wanted greater access to social media platforms, internal data, internal data and recommended that the platforms increase their enforcement of censorship policies. So the government wants to investigate, they want the data, they want the resources of these private companies, which they can't go into, so they can tell them how to better regulate speech that the government likes. There's a lot more to this, but again, oh, here we go, there's more. The EIP found that uh, Gateway funded a familiar source to all of us here, was one of the top misinformation websites. In other words, they told the truth more than anybody. Uh, where they said, the, the court said, uh, or judge said, allegedly uh, involving exaggeration of the input of to in the election process. We can't exaggerate. How do you exaggerate uh, our federal government was stolen in, in an election coup with a staged uh, action January 6th to blame people uh, as not part of the coup, but bring them in and blame them for the coup that was really done under the Capitol while people were wandering around up top? That's a complex, organized operation. So the Gateway Pundit's been pointing it out. We've been pointing it out. A lot of people have been pointing it out. Then it says uh, the EIP did not say that the information was false, because it isn't. The EIP report report cites the Gateway Pundit 47 times. The GEC was engaging with the EIP and submitted tickets. See, I'm losing track of all these agencies. That's why I'm not going through all this, because I don't care. I know there's enough information here. There's enough evidence for what Uh, the judge did in putting an injunction saying, you can't talk. That's basically what this is all about. Uh, The Brandon insurrection, the illegal government, the occupation government, you know, from the White House up and down, was told that none of their departments or people could talk to social media anymore. That's it. Stop talking. And uh, because of that, government's already filed. You know, we can't talk to them. (laughs) No, you can't. So what Congress needs to do is to have a separation of communications, or a separation of social media, or some kind of uh, bill that prohibits any government agency from having any contact with any social media agency, unless they break the law. Okay, and that would be the Justice Department if someone um, posts uh, child pornography, you know, on social media. Well, that that's that's different. Uh, now, should that be censored by uh, big tech? Good question. I think put on hold. I would say they can't take down the post, but they should they should block it and save it for evidence that uh, proper law enforcement can use, whether it's local, state, or federal. I think I'm gonna sneeze. I'm gonna have to mute myself for a second here. <coughs> well, I missed. Sorry about that. <laughs> I couldn't get meat I I couldn't get to it in time. I'm. I apologize for that. It's Friday. This is what I have when I have guests. I usually do, do all this stuff when uh, when nobody's listening. Nobody's here but me. So anyway, well, at least I don't have to sneeze anymore. At least I hope not. Sorry, I have more vitamin C. But I, I don't have my vitamin D to do either. I'll have to get that as well. Oh, Sorry about that. <laughs> my vitamin D. All right, there we go. Um, you want? To, yeah, this is from Tempers Flapstick slapstick music too. Here we go. So let's see more information here. This is page 82. The Gateway Pundit's website was listed as the domain cited as the most incidents. Uh, its website uh, content was tweeted by others 29,209 times original tweets and 840,740 retweets. Gateway Pundit ranked above Fox News, the New York Post, the New York Times, and the Washington Post. Yeah, that's because the it's Gateway Pundit's a better source of information. Uh, it says the Gateway Pundit was listed as the second-ranked re- repeat spreader of election misinformation on Twitter. Yeah, that's just made up. Uh, it says uh, during the 2020 election cycle, the EIP, the Election Integrity Project, which is anything but, flagged the Gateway pundit in 25 incidents with over 200,000 retweets. <laughs> in other words, the Gateway pundit is doing a good job. All right? So the Gateway pundit ranked above Fox News, the New York Post, the New York Times, uh, and the Washington Post in terms of what I would call doing good. Let me scroll down here. Some more. Let's get to what's my next one here. Page 84. Now, this is something I did not know about. It's called the Virality Project, V-I-R-A-L-I-T-Y. And it doesn't mean being virile. I think it means viral. In other words, looking for viruses or things like that or things going viral. So this is page 84 of the core case, the Virality Project. Let me just make sure I didn't mute myself. Okay, good. Yeah. Try not sneezing. It hurts. <laughs> okay. There oh, we go. The Virality Project, the Virality project targeted domestic speakers alleged disinformation relating to the COVID-19 vaccines, which are not vaccines. The Virality Project's final report dated April 26, 2022, lists DeResta as principal executive director and lists Starbird and Masterson as contributors. Again, these are new people probably mentioned previously in the court case, but I'm not going to go back and dig them out. But let's see what this Virality Project uh, targeted domestic speakers, all right? So in other words, that'd be me, <laughs> you know, that'd be anybody that spoke out against uh, the government's uh, insanity and anti constitutional uh, um, things with both the election and with COVID. It says, according to the Virality, Pro- Virality Project, and this is from... Um, This is from the the court case. Vaccine mis- and disinformation was largely driven by a cast of recurring actors, including longstanding anti-vaccine influencers and activists. That'd be me. (laughs) Wellness and lifestyle influence, that's us here too. Pseudo-medical influencers, conspiracy theory influencers, which I would call ongoing investigations. Right-leaning political influencers, that's definitely us, and medical freedom influencers, that's us too. We do all that stuff. <laughs> this is kind of funny. Since the virality, pro- virality project admits the speech it targets is primarily domestic, that'd be us. Although we are international, stating foreign actors' reach appeared to be far less than that of domestic actors. Oh, okay. The virality project also calls for more calls for more aggressive censorship of COVID nineteen misinformation, which we call truth. Calls for more federal agencies. More federal agencies to be involved through cross-agency collaboration. Well, that's interesting. And that, that's what we call a conspiracy, <laughs> right? And calls for a whole of society response. In other words, the whole society has to condemn those of us telling the truth. Well, that's why they create a mass psychosis, right? And then it says, just like the EIP, the Virality Project states that it is, quote, multi-stakeholder collaboration that includes government entities among its key stakeholders. The Virality Project targets ta- tactics that are not necessarily false, including hard-to-verify content, alleged authorization sources, uh, uh, organized outrage, and sensationalized misleading headlines. What? <laughs> Let me see if we can translate that. The Virality Project targets tactics that are not necessarily false, but not necessarily true either, right? Including hard-to-verify content, in other words, stuff they made up, alleged authorization sources, sources they made up, <laughs> organized outrage, you know, public opinion they made up, <laughs> and sensationalized misleading headlines. Oh, headlines they made up. This little all stuff they made up. It's fascinating. They don't say that in the court case. I do, but that's uh, interesting. Plaintiff Hines of Health Freedom Louisiana was flagged by the Virality Project to be a medical freedom influencer who engages in the tactic of organized outrage because she created events or in-person gatherings to oppose mask and vaccine mandates in Louisiana. We had a mask burning here. How come you guys didn't flag me? <laughs> we did. We had a mask burning here. Uh, this is the virality Project also acknowledges that government stakeholders, such as federal health agencies. So stakeholders, those are people with a stake. If you're a stakeholder, it means you have a stake in the outcome or a stake in the process. Well, in this case, the only people with a stake in the process of, of, of uh, creating misinformation is the government itself. Social media, they're going along with it, but uh, I don't think they carry either way as long as they get money and people uh, subscribing and using social media, right? Uh, yeah, really project only part on target. Okay, fine. I had enough of this. Let me get you a new topic. I think we're getting to the good stuff now. Law and analysis. This is part three. Before we get to that, I'm going to play you uh, something else just for fun. Before you say, I want to play some music. I think we need a music break. I need more and more breaks. You don't know say more and more breaks as the show goes on because I can only talk so long about myself. That's why it was nice to have uh, Tara D here uh, earlier. I think it's time for a little jazz. You know, we have some. Let's um, let's get some jazz. I think it's time for a jazz break. How many shows take a jazz break (laughs) that aren't music shows? We take a jazz break. Uh, I'll be back in about uh, five minutes. I feel better. I've had a break. Uh, this is kind of cool. Anyway, so I kind of have more of these uh, songs in here. Um, I've got a whole bunch of musical selections I can add on my music folder, which I can put into the, uh, the audio clips. Fortunately, there's a lot of space for audio clips in Blog Talk Radio. That's one of the reasons I like using it. All right, so let's get back to the court case, because now we're going to get to what this is all about. So what the judge did, um, first of all, he introduced the problem, uh, and then he introduced the evidence. And that took 86 pages. <laughs> so on page 86, he now gets to part three, which is law and analysis. So the first part is the introduction. The Second part is the evidence. Um, and now he's got law and analysis. And some there's still more evidence coming. Some of the most blatant things. So he takes the evidence and puts it into, you know, this injunction. So an injunction is where he is where you stop something. You stop a law. You stop a um, something, a policy, a regulation. You stop something that the government's doing. All right. So the injunction here, you are injuncted from doing, let us see if I can get the exact definition of injunction. Maybe that'll help here. Injunction, injunction, I-N-J-U-N-C-T-I-O-N. It's a legal term. Now, an authoritative warning or order. Oh, that's interesting. It's more of an order than a warning. This is a judicial order that restrains a person from beginning or continuing an action threatening or invading the legal right of another or that compels a person to carry out a certain act to make restitution to an injured party. So in this case, it's compelling. Uh, it says uh, uh, it's, or, it's a judicial order. In this case, uh, that orders, um, you know, the, the, the government to stop invading the legal rights of, of people with the first amendment. That's what it is. So in other words, it's stopping the government from having any contact with social media, uh, the illegal government of the Brandon insurrection from having any contact with social media because they're using it to violate free speech rights. And they're forcing these companies or they're doing it willingly. I'm not really sure. That'd be another investigation. But uh, the the net result is these companies are acting like a government, suppressing free speech and censoring it. Well, the government can't do that. uh, And the government can't uh, encourage or coerce anybody else to do it. So in other words, if a private company acts like a government, it's just as bad as if the government itself does it. So when they say, well, we didn't do it. We didn't violate the First Amendment. Uh, These companies did. You know, if there's any connection between the government and the company, any kind of coercion, encouragement, or anything like that, then that company then becomes like government, called a state actor. They're acting like they are the state, in which case they can't violate your constitutional rights either. So let's see what the judge said. Preliminary injunction standard. This is page 86. He says an injunction is an extraordinary remedy never awarded of right. In other words, you don't have a right to, to an injunction. All right. He says, in each case, the courts must balance the, the competing claims of injury and must consider the effect on each party of the granting or withholding of the request relief. I'm going to question that, but I'll hold off on that a little bit. He says, the standard for an injunction requires a movant, M-O-V-A-N-T, I guess that's who's moving the case, to show, one, the substantial likelihood of success on the merits, Two, that he is likely to suffer irreparable harm in the absence of an injunction. And three, that the balance of equities tips in his favor. Uh, And four, that an injunction is in the public interest. Okay, I think that's totally wrong. I'll tell you why. Um, Because this goes back to the the shows that we did on standing. See see how these shows build on each other? So the show on standing says that in order for you to sue in court, you have to show that you have standing, which means that you're – you're not being uh, injured personally, uh, that uh, you're going to win on the merits. You get all this other kind of stuff. Well, i got an Amber Alert coming through on my phone. Sorry about that. i put it in a quieter place. There we go. Because I can't deal with it now. First of all, I'm not driving, so it's no, there's no point in telling me about that. Uh, but uh, it's a good thing they issue those things so they can catch catch the kids and save them. That's a good thing. All right. Anyway, so, so the idea that you have to uh, – that you don't have a right to an injunction – that you, it, the mere fact that the government is violating your constitutional rights doesn't automatically guarantee that you can bring a lawsuit, that you can get relief from that? That's absurd. So all you have to do is prove your case that the government's doing it, but you don't have to have all these – you don't have to prove that you have uh, standing to, to even bring the case. That doesn't make any sense to me. And that, I think, is wrong. And we proved that when we proved that standing is not part of Article Three. That standing, the ability to sue in court, the, the proof that you're, you know, you've got these four things. Substantial likelihood of success, uh, likely to suffer irreparable harm, uh, balance of equities in your favor, and an injunction is in the public interest. Those are that's that's uh, that's absurd. That you have to prove all four of those things. That all four have to be in play before an injunction can be issued. Now this case is so egregious that the injunction was issued. It is that egregious. But all you should be should have to prove uh, is uh, Title 18, Section 241 that a conspiracy exists of two or more persons to suppress the exercise or enjoyment of any constitutional right. That's federal law. Title 18, Section 241. Look it up. Title 18, Section 242. If any government entity acts under color of law, in other words, a law enforcement type ability, which we've proven all these folks are doing, FBI, State Department, CDC, the White House, all these people that are defendants in these lawsuits, they're all acting under color of law saying you have to do this, or you're breaking the law, which in fact they're breaking the law in the process of telling others they're breaking the law. So this is, this is where the judge screws up. Even though he does the right thing, he comes about it in such a long way that it required a 156-page or 155-page opinion when it should have required five pages. <laughs> you know, because he has to go through all these mental gyrations and legally stupid things to prove that these people even have a court case to bring a court case. So let's go through them one by one. So in order to bring a a standard, in order to bring a court case, you have to go through these tests, the preliminary injunction standard. In other words, the the, the, the judge will not issue an injunction to stop Brandon from breaking the law uh, until four tests are met. First one, the substantial likelihood of success on the merits. So in other words, unless – and this is before the case even happens, right? So this is part I don't understand. So how do you know until you have the case whether you're likely to succeed on the merits, So in other words, you have to prove the case before you prove the case. Well, that's absurd. Second point, that he is likely to suffer irreparable harm in the absence of an injunction. Well, violating a constitutional right doesn't always cause irreparable harm, but it it most certainly causes harm. But what's the standard of irreparable harm? So in other words, unless the violation is so egregious, so, so serious, so devastating that it causes irreparable harm, you still can't bring the case. So you have to prove that you're going to be successful. You have to prove irreparable harm. And then the balance of equities, tips in your favor, what are equities? That's money. <laughs> okay. So, so, or I guess, uh, what about equality? So in other words, you're not equal under the law. So you're not equal to the government. You have to prove equity. And then it says that an injunction is in the public interest. Well, what if the exercise of, uh, of your constitutional rights is not in the public interest? And who's to say the public interest is? How do you prove it's in the public interest? Well, the government tells you what's in the public interest. Uh, they think gun control, gun control is in the public interest, even though it completely violates the Second Amendment. So what if, what if the argument, the government brought an argument that said that uh, gun control is in the public interest because we're just trying to keep the streets safe, even though we know they're releasing criminals and the law-abiding aren't causing the problem. And the law-abiding is who the Second Amendment is for. The uses of firearms are divided up into criminal uses and legal uses. Well, assuming that the, the law-abiding are, are keeping and bearing arms for legal purposes, okay. But uh, is it a, it's an interesting question. Is it a crime for criminals to keep and bear arms as long as they don't use them? Well, the presumption is they're going to use them. So I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll take that one up another time. That's a, it's an interesting question. But the idea that um, you have to prove irreparable harm, uh, that the balance of equities tips in your favor, what if they don't? What if you're a minority of one person? What if it, if the government says, or anybody says, well, or a judge says, well, it's not really in the public interest for one person to advocate that we become um, a Muslim tyranny? Do they have a the right to say it? Sure. You know, would that be in the public interest? Probably not. But does that mean it's not a violation of their constitutional rights to stop them from saying it? Yeah, it would be. So anyway, uh, th- this this makes no sense whatsoever. So these tests, these these arbitrary tests that the courts have come up with over the years are completely bogus, should not exist, and I think are themselves a violation of our constitutional rights. Because if you can't even bring a suit until you prove that you can win it, or you're going to have irreparable harm, or that your suit is in the public interest, that's crazy, or that equities tip in your favor. So in other words, you have to win your case before you can even bring your case. That's not a legitimate judicial standard, and yet there it is. Page 87, B, analysis. Judge says, as noted above, plaintiffs move for a preliminary injunction against defendants' alleged violations of the Free Suites Clause of the First Amendment. So who are the plaintiffs? Well, all the folks that were censored. Who are the defendants? The branded Insurrection, just in case you lost that. all right. Got to keep these parties clear in your mind, otherwise stuff happens. Uh, Marco, how am I doing? You, you, uh, I should ask Marco in the Netherlands. Are you still engaged by all this? Hope you like it. Uh, hope it applies to uh, maybe Netherlands cases, too. So, so, so where's, my, uh, where's my, my favorite reporter in the world, Eva uh, you know, the most beautiful woman on the planet today and probably one of the smartest, and that's why I want to talk to her about legal philosophy. So we gotta get her, got to get her on the show sometime. All right, B, analysis, page 86. 87. As noted above, plaintiffs move for a preliminary injunction uh, against defendants' alleged violations of the free speech clause of the First Amendment. Plaintiffs assert. Plaintiffs assert that they are likely to succeed on the merits of their First Amendment claims because defendants have significantly encouraged and or coerced social media companies into removing protected speech from social media platforms. See, the irony is is that the plaintiffs meet all those ridiculous criteria, but they shouldn't have to. Anyway, judge says plaintiffs also argue that failure to grant a preliminary injunction will result in irreparable harm. Because the alleged First Amendment violations are continuing or there are a substantial risk, or there is a substantial risk, that future harm is likely to occur. Yeah, uh, my business, Action Radio, the Action Radio Citizen Legislature, is suffering irreparable harm because I cannot market my business on social media. I am being suppressed. So I want to be part of this case because I want them to pay the damages they have done to Action Radio by suppressing me, by not allowing me to market my company on, on social media. That is irreparable harm. So I'm suffering irreparable harm right now because I'm not broadcasting to millions of people that I otherwise would. Maybe hundreds of thousands. We'll see. Anyway, maybe millions is a bit of an exaggeration, but we'll get there. We'll be bigger than CNN. Shouldn't be too tough. Then it says plaintiffs maintain that the equitable factors and public interest weigh in favor of protecting their First Amendment rights to freedom of speech. Well, that shouldn't matter. You don't have to have equitable factors in public interest. The fact that the First Amendment exists is all that's needed to protect free speech. That is a God-given right that even if it didn't exist in the Constitution, it would still be a, a guaranteed right. Freedom of expression, freedom of speech is the most basic freedom we have. The freedom to say what you want and not have government coercion or repercussion. That's basic to freedom in any country. Then it says, finally, plaintiff's move for a class certification under Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 23. In response, defendants maintain that plaintiffs are unlikely to succeed on the merits for a myriad of reasons. Defendants also maintain plaintiffs lack Article III standing to bring the claims levied herein, and plaintiffs have failed to show the irreparable harm uh, because the risk of future injury is low and that the equitable factors and public interest weigh in favor of allowing defendants to continue enjoying permissible government speech allowing defendants to continue enjoying permissible government speech. See the tangled web here? This is the problem with requiring all these tests in order to prove that you can win your case before you can bring your case. I mean the whole point of a case is you don't know if you can win it. But you bring it anyway. Now, does that mean you can have frivolous cases? No. But you should be able to uh you should be able to bring a case um, that is reasonable. I mean, that's uh, you know. In other words, if it's not friz- if it's not frivolous, you should be able to bring the case. Looks like Marco's leaving, so let me put that. Have a good weekend. Have a great weekend. <laughs> um, but um, he missed he missed some of the show. Well, you know, catch it. <laughs> catch it when you when you can. That's what we do, podcast for. That's how so you can always catch the show. That's what we do here. All right, so let's do this. Let's do this. I don't know how much I want to go into this. I think I want to skip some stuff here. But you get the idea. So in other words, um, I'm not going to go through all, all, you know, much more of this analysis because it's, it's kind of crazy. Uh, okay, each argument will in turn will be addressed below. Yeah, it's a lot of evidence here. Uh, so here are the defendants. Hmm. First Amendment claim against the White House defendants, Surgeon General defendants, CDC defendants, FBI defendants, NIAID defendants, CISA defendants, State Department defendants. Uh, in ruling on the motion for a preliminary injunction, it is not necessary that the applicant demonstrate an absolute right to relief; it need only establish a probable right. Okay, so this is where this is where the court's getting into stupid stuff. All right, now we get into the good stuff. What page am I on now? Page eighty-eight. Let's see if it's in my list. Ah, plaintiff's First Amendment case. Okay, so this is where the judge gets it wrong. Even though he does the right thing with the injunction, his reasoning. Uh, opens up a can of worms for future lawsuits. He says in in section A, plaintiff's First Amendment claims. He says the free speech clause, that's the First Amendment to the Constitution, prohibits only government abridgment of speech. That's not true. It's not true. If your speech is abridged uh, by any authority, why does it have to be government? You know, I mean, there are lots of places where free speech is abridged, but the whole idea of the First Amendment, it's really prohibition on government. But the difference is when government uh, encourages them to act like government. And so I would I would disagree with that, which raises the question, can school kids, private schools, do private school kids free speech right? Now, how's that for a question? Oh, like, uh, okay. Like, I just got a message from Canada. She'll catch up next week. That's cool, uh, at least how her theme works. So I'll keep that one. I'm going to redo my thing. Um, I may um, redo the one on uh, on promotions. I'm going to make it a little shorter, I think. Anyway, so the idea that the free speech clause only prohibits, uh, prohibits government abridgment of speech. I'm not sure about that. What about a corporation? It's an interesting question. Can you take a knee uh, during the national anthem? I'd say not in the corporate uniform or while you're doing corporate business, but you can take a knee any other time than the national anthem is played when you're out of uniform. Sure. Uh, that's free speech. Anyway, let's let's just go with what the judge says. The free speech clause prohibits only government abridgment of speech. Let's go with that for now until I find some egregious other example. Then it says it does not. He says it does not prohibit private abridgment of speech. Oh, I'd be curious about that. He says the First Amendment, subject only to narrow and well-understood exceptions, does not countenance government control over the content of messages expressed by private individuals. So what are these well-understood exceptions? Now, he gave a bunch of them. I don't think those are exceptions at all. And I pointed out very clearly several times that, uh, you know, well, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Well, yes, you can. You have the right to yell fire in a crowded theater. And that's what we're talking about, the right. Now, the action of yelling fire in a crowded theater is something completely, completely different. Just like guns, you have the absolute right to keep and bear arms, to own and carry guns. Or other arms. You have the absolute right to do that. Now, do you, do you have an absolute ability to act in any way within you want? No. There's no absolute guarantee of usage. There isn't. That'd be stupid because they're illegal and illegal usages. Same thing with speech. There's an absolute right to free speech, and that's a firewall against government. But the use of speech, once you speak, once you take an action, then that comes under legal and illegal. So that's the difference. So, so I don't know what these well-understood exceptions are. Uh, unless that's like inside government stuff. And then he says, uh, he says not, but the First Amendment does not countenance government control over the content of messages expressed by private individuals. Okay. He says, at the heart of the First Amendment lies the principle that each person should decide for himself or herself the ideas and beliefs deserving of expression, consideration, and adherence. Absolutely right. He says, government action aimed at the suppression of, of particular views on a subject that discriminates, on the basis of viewpoint, is presumptively unconstitutional. In other words, presumed unconstitutional. He's absolutely right again. The First Amendment guards against government action targeted at specific subject matter, a form of speech suppression known as content-based discrimination. So if the the government targets a specific subject matter or a subject group like conservatives, a form of speech suppression known as content-based discrimination has taken place. Absolutely right again. He says the private party social media platforms the private party social media platforms are not defendants in the instant suit so the issue here is not whether social media platforms are government actors, even though they are uh, in this case, but whether the government can be held responsible for the private platform's decisions. So that's an interesting question. So um, partially right, partially wrong. He says the private party social media platforms are not Defendants in the instant suit might be in a further suit, but they're not defending this one. So the issue here is not whether the social media platforms are government actors, but whether the government can be held responsible for private platforms decisions. So even though they're not designating uh, social media companies as government actors, uh, the government has made them actors and made them responsible, made them act according to the government's will. Interesting distinction. Probably not a large one, but I guess it's important. This is viewpoint discrimination is an especially egregious form of content discrimination. Viewpoint discrimination, in other words, picking out conservatives, right? Viewpoint discrimination is an especially egregious form of content discrimination. The government must abstain from regulating speech when the specific motivating ideology or the perspective of the speaker is the rationale for the restriction. This is good stuff. He says, strict scrutiny is one of those bogus tests, right? Strict scrutiny is applied to viewpoint discrimination. He says, the government may not grant the use of a forum to people whose views it finds acceptable, but deny use to those wishing to express less favored or more controversial views. In other words, the government can't play favorites. They can't allow speech, uh, encourage speech that they approve of, and uh, suppress speech that they don't approve of. That's simply illegal. It says, uh, if, there is any, if there is a bedrock principle underlying the First Amendment, it is that the government may not prohibit the expression of an idea simply because society finds the idea itself offensive or disagreeable. So, in other words, the whole point of free speech is that uh, it's free, that nobody needs to protect, you know, nice speech. Oh, kittens are cute. Okay, no one cares about that. Well, that's a nice statement. Kittens are cute. Okay, but that's not going to ruffle anybody's feathers, except maybe a bird, but that's a different story. But this is the most important thing. He says, if there is a bedrock principle underlying the First Amendment, it is that the government may not prohibit the expression of an idea simply because society finds the idea itself offensive or disagreeable. In other words, there's no right to, to uh, not be offended. Okay? You cannot, and the government cannot, no one can suppress free speech just because someone finds it offensive. That's the speech that's protected the most. It is the speech that offends that should be protected the most, okay? Because it may be the most valuable. You don't know. Then it says the benefit of any doubt must go to protecting rather than stifling speech. He's got some more stuff here. He says significant uh, uh, encouragement and coercion to determine whether plaintiffs are, all right, I'm going to hold it up here. Page 89. Page 89. So I'm going to take a break right here. There we go. So let's put in break. Okay, so this is where we gonna stop it because I'm tired of reading, and <laughs> you're probably tired of hearing my voice. And I don't want to talk. I, I'm gonna play one of my uh, my favorite interviews here. So this is where we break, and I'll put uh, and I'll put later here Monday. I'm going to pick us up Monday. Such an important case uh, that I want to, I want to continue this Monday. My hour before Jonathan and uh, Dorothy gets here. So let's do that. Let's take a break here. Let's take a break there. Let's get to for the last 45 minutes, I do have an interview uh, from W.E.B.Y. that I have. I always have one handy just for occasions like this when I have more show and I don't want to talk anymore because <laughs> I'm tired. I've been, I've been going all out here a lot. So a friend of mine, uh, Charlotte Davis, um, actually someone I've lost touch with, so I've got to get her back. Um, this is from uh, April 7th. Of 2017. This is a WEBY interview. Uh, that would be 1530 a.m. WEBY, Northwest Florida's News and Talk Leader. That was the station that gave me my first full-time job in radio and loved it. <laughs> would, it would still be there today uh, if I could, but uh, since the station was sold and is no longer WEBY, um, that kind of ended that. Anyway, um, she was really interesting. Charlotte Davis was the uh, president of the College Republicans at the University of West Florida. And so I've got just about 45 minutes. This takes about 42 minutes. And so this will take us to the end of the show today. Since nobody's calling, everybody's still on holiday, which is understandable. I mean, I'm not surprised that our our listenership is not huge right now, simply because uh, everybody's at the beach, (laughs) which is a good place to be, actually. Uh, Except now the sun's rays are getting a little too strong. So let me play this. And, again, this is from uh, April 7th. Of 2017. It's a six year old interview. Uh, I got to find Charlotte now. And she, and she's probably working in politics somewhere. I got to see if I can track her down and send her this interview. So all references to WEBY or a phone number that's not 215 383 3832 or any website that's not blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action or writeyourlaws.com is from a time when I didn't know those things would exist. <laughs> that's just how that works. All right, let me play this for you. Enjoy uh, a really smart, um, I think she was a senior. Uh, College Republican, President of the College Republicans at the University of West Florida. And I'll be back at the end of the show. You didn't know we danced here, did you, Charlotte? This is the Action Radio Hour. This is Greg Penglis with my special guest here, who I shall introduce in just a little bit, 1630 WEBY, Northwest Florida's Talk Radio. Phone numbers to call in, 623-1330, 623-1330, outside our area code 850-623-1330. Expect lots of calls and lots of interaction here. Let's get our guest introduced right now. She is a student at the University of West Florida. She is studying political science, most likely headed to a career in politics. She took the uh, University of Florida administration on when they disabled the college Republicans on campus, went to Breitbart News, publicized the event, and guess what? She got the college Republicans reinstated. Please welcome our special guest, the president of the UWF College Republicans, Ms. Charlotte Davis.
4: Hey, Greg. Thanks so much for having me here today. I really appreciate coming Wait for the applause here. to die
1: down a little bit. <laughs> Isn't that fun?
4: It is fun.
0: So that's
1: our intro. Yeah, so we have having a great time here. So a lot of this is, is brand new stuff in a little bit. But tell me a bit about the College Republicans, who you are, what you do, what you want to do. Just kind of give people a, an idea of that.
4: Yeah, so uh, the UWF College Republicans are an active group on the University of West Florida campus. We're a group of millennial students made up of mostly Republicans. We do have a couple of stray libertarians that we're trying to pull onto our side, uh, but we do appreciate all the support from the community. Uh, We participate in events over the year uh, trying to put the conservative movement onto um, a very liberal campus and um, make sure that students know that it is okay to be a conservative even though you're not a rich white old man. (laughs)
1: That's funny. It's, it's interesting you should say that because this is a very conservative area.
4: Oh, for sure. You for know,
1: sure. And I came from the Bay Area, which is ultra-socialist. In fact, you called in when we had uh, Jose Diaz, uh, who's the president of the University of California, yeah. Berkeley College Republicans. He's in, he's in the really, not only is the college the liberal, but the entire area is liberal. So how does your university fit with a conservative area and a liberal university? How's that working out?
4: It's actually very interesting. So uh, we... Uh, Whenever we we faced uh, some pushback from the liberal administration, we had a lot of outreach from the community coming in to say, "Well, there's no way that there is a liberal administration on the UWF campus. We're in a we're in a red area. What are you talking about?" Um, but we did go ahead and go with the uh, uh, the um, Breitbart news.
1: Yeah, I want to hear the, the whole story of how they, they tried to disable you. What was the claim yeah. that they wanted to get rid of you? How did they do that, and how did that come about and then
4: yeah, so we, get into Breitbart? We had a administrator that actually looked me in the eye and said, we will not be putting you on campus as a active organization until you get better leadership into your organization.
1: Is that like hate speech? I mean, where's the, where's oh. the tolerance? Where's the diversity?
4: There is none. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that much. There okay. is no uh, There's no diversity whenever it comes to the, the left mainstream. So um, what we really do appreciate, though, is whenever we did reach out into the community, we just had a lot of them finally open their eyes to see that not everyone in the, in the panhandle is a conservative, right-wing, staunch uh, Republican
1: yeah how did that um, how does that work on campus with uh, with the other student groups was were there any other groups that were disabled the same way you were or uh, or they just sort of single out the conservative groups and and uh, is there an active move to do that or what are they doing it
4: was really interesting they said that there were some other groups that were disabled but we never heard from them we never heard if they were reinstated as we were Okay. so uh, we do still feel that it it was a direct attack on us, um, but we have heard the apologies from the administration. We have heard the sincere apologies directly from uh, the administrator that, that spoke to me in the manner that he did,
0: yeah.
4: and uh, we, we accepted it, okay. and we have continued fighting for the conservative movement on our campus, and we, we uh, did so with high heads and happy faces. <laughs> so,
1: so who in the community came forward to help you?
4: Yeah, so we actually had quite a few people that were running for, of course, an uh, elected office okay. over the last year. And then we did have quite a few people just add us on Facebook and even just words of encouragement of keep fighting for the conservative movement on your campus. We believe in you. Uh, so whether it be a monetary support or a just word words and um, the actions of others that uh, they did to support us, we really did appreciate all the support from the community. Okay no matter
1: what. Something you might find interesting is a story I was doing uh, I think about a week or so ago. There's a representative in the state of Iowa, uh, Iowa state government, who's trying to have conservative professors be a certain percentage on campus. So did you hear about that at all or are you guys working with that?
4: No. we. Uh, I actually had a conversation about this last night when I was being interviewed uh, by a... Oh, you're graduate such a student. busy media <laughs> person. Where was this now? Uh, this was just by a graduate student. She okay. is doing her thesis, okay. and she interviewed me a year ago, so she was doing a follow-up interview.
1: What's the thesis on?
4: Uh, her thesis was on media representation and how they represent conservatives.
1: I need to talk to her. I think she might be kind of an uh, interesting guest on she the show. She might be. I'll have to yeah. be in touch. So, so Yang in touch with her, our people will cut, talk to their people. We'll do lunch. We'll figure this all out. But yeah, <laughs> For sure. we'll get them on the air. But that, that is interesting. Yeah, and actually that's one of the things I want to feature uh, a lot of. Uh, student reports, theses, you know, whether doctoral candidates, master's candidates, you know, because a lot of times this research, there's incredible research being done by people for their degrees. Do you have to do a thesis for, for your, you're working on a bachelor's, right?
4: Right. I'm, okay. not, I'm not currently working on a thesis.
1: Okay. But for people that do, I mean, this, this, in, this wonderful information gets written down. People spend six months to a year writing these things and then it just goes into a file and nobody ever sees it. It's a tremendous waste of, of, of energy and effort, and these, you know, they could be, the, we could have these, I want to get these reports on the air, yeah. you know, sometimes, th- go th- ahead.
4: Oh, I think it's the worst thing, too, because they're uh, basically taking those thesis that these students have worked on and saying they're not worthy of being looked at, uh, and I'm not sure if it's Who because they're young. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's said as much as it's just kind of an inherent um they're just kind of pushed aside just because I think they're younger researchers. They maybe aren't taking as seriously.
1: You know, i got a story for you. When I was in college, um, we had a health problem at our Graduate Research Center. This is at the University of Massachusetts. And what happened was uh, there were chemical fumes that were making people sick, and they couldn't find the cause of them. And so what happened was they brought in NIOSH, the, the National Industrial Occupational Safety. It's the research arm of OSHA and they wanted to find out what was causing the problems. And five of us were taking an environmental science class, were assigned to, to discover this ourselves. And of course we were students, we were just kids, right? And so we had the blueprints of the building, we had the engineering statements, we had the elevator shaft, the pressure measurements, we had the fume hoods we looked at, we looked at every possible structural engineering thing. We gave our results to NIOSH, which they then used in their study. So never underestimate students, and this is why you know, I'm working on a student program to get high school students here in my first hour to have them have a, some radio experience. But, uh, you know, you can do amazing things, and don't, don't knock back just because you're a student. So, uh, yeah, what do you I think? Have,
4: I have a story for you kind of similar for Let's that Let's hear it. Uh, so this last year on the election path, um, us at the College Republicans State Board, we actually all worked together to form um, an initiative to go out on campus and survey students And take data to find out how many conservatives leaned right, or I'm sorry, how many students leaned right and were conservative-leaning students. So we we found that. We made sure those students were registered to vote. We made sure that we were able to get them out to the polls. And the millennials in Florida actually swung the vote, and I want to say it was by 17%.
1: Tell me about millennials. What's the political involvement? How does that work?
4: Uh, I think it's actually you would find that more students on college campuses are conservatives, but they're also uh, just not really willing to talk about it. They're not willing to go out of their way and, you know, break apart friendships, which I would never ask someone to do. But That's n-
1: happening on Facebook. People, is. Uh, people. is. Uh, I've lost friends over this election. Um,
4: they're not wanting to go out and talk about mm-hmm. what their political beliefs are because they are continuously pushed down by the left. The left it has a huge loud noise, okay. but they don't make up a majority anymore. I think we saw that in the last election. They
1: never did. That's the big thing. The, the liberals are, are – are, the left in this country, I think, is about 20%, 25% of those who admit to, to being left as opposed to conservatives, which is about 30%, 35%, and you got the rest in the middle somewhere. But th- that's the problem, is that you have uh, a situation where the left has taken over education, um, the media – uh, various institutions, and that's part of the plan of progressives to, to be in these institutions so they can have the influence. So you have all these kids graduating public school with a leftist orientation, so you actually have to make conservatives. You know, oh, for sure. You're coming out, you're coming out if, if you figure almost everybody's coming out of school with a liberal orientation, you know, then you have to convert that. Whereas, can you imagine if, if it was the opposite? Like, say, you know, 100 years ago, most people were coming out conservatives, and the left had to transform people after school. So do you see patterns in that, or or what what do you think?
4: I actually think I see a more pattern with students maybe not so much having to convert them from being liberal into being conservatives, as much as they go in conservatives and come out liberal. Okay. Um, Hmm. And then you have to work on converting them back and saying, well, we're not all rich old white guys, because that is the stigma of being a conservative. I'm not a rich old white guy. Oh, absolutely not. (laughs) Absolutely not. I'd like but. to be: It
1: might be interesting, but <laughs> well, I'm not
4: a rich old white guy, and I love to be a Republican, in the there you go. Yeah. but we're just having to change that, change that stigma on college campuses, and it's all a grassroots organizing yeah. uh, campaign.
1: Okay, but the perception with millennials is this whole generation. they're stuck on their electronic devices, they're like For Borgs, sure. you know they don't, they're just you know you go to a cafe and you've got 50 people, they're not talking to anyone, they're all on their machines, and you're sort of like disconnected from the, from the world somehow, and you don't care. So so, so, give me the millennial story, and then we'll take a break here.
4: Sure. So um, I am a millennial, so I That's can why tell I asked you, you right now, yeah. I'm all the time. We okay. actually did a uh, question in one of my classes the other day, and it showed, I want to say it was 68% um, of your time during the day is spent on social media. What? Yeah.
1: That's insane.
4: It is insane. Do you
1: didn't realize that people that didn't have social media had 68% more time? I know. <laughs> I don't talk. know if
4: they were just reading the newspaper yeah. during that time or twiddling their thumbs. Wow. I don't know what I would do.
1: Interesting. <laughs> we've got a lot of things to talk about. We had the Trump raid in Syria. I'm going to get the college reaction to that. Um, you had an active shooter on campus. You know We're going to cover that. Uh, anything else? We've got? I've got like a whole list of questions here. We have students for concealed care we might want to talk about and everything else. We've covered some things already, but this is Greg Penglis with my special guest, Charlotte Davis, president of the University of West Florida uh, College Republicans. It is 8.17 in the morning, and we'll be right back.
5: It might seem
1: crazy what I'm about to say Sometimes she's here, you can take a break. I like this A little high on the voice, I'd be curious to hear How what the singer sounds like that Hey dogs, back. like that's sacrilege, it sounds great Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> this run for a minute yeah, Keep it going for a bit. I'll introduce my guest here This is uh, Charlotte Davis is with me today From the uh, University of West Florida College Republican She's the President there and we're talking about a whole variety of issues here. It's 821 in the morning. But please feel free to call in if you want to find out what's going on on college campuses, You know, especially if you're a prospective parent, prospective student, uh, or parent of a student to, to be in college. This is a great chance to find out, especially the ideological balance. And I have so many things going on here. One of the questions uh, that I wanted to ask Jose when he was on, he was the University College Republican president in uh, Berkeley, is political ideology as a civil right. So in other words, if we if we make uh, ideology a civil right, then you can't have the the hate speech, the the safe space, anything uh, going on with that. Has, have you, do you discuss anything like that at all uh, for like projects for long term? Whether you can, you know, if hate speech can go one way, can it go another way? Where if you're conservative and you're and you're persecuted on campus, is that in fact a violation of your civil rights?
4: I think this is something that a lot of conservative students of, of and friends of mine uh, we actually make fun of. Uh, because a lot of times we are the ones that are uh, facing that hate speech. We're okay. the ones being called racist, bigots, et cetera, fill in the blank.
1: Do you have some incidents that you can think of?
4: Oh, for sure. So okay. we had a guy on our campus that was holding up a sign that said, make racist afraid again outside the library. Wow. And I confronted him okay. with my Facebook live camera. There's that millennial social media aspect again. Yeah. And I started asking him if that was hate speech and if he was, promoting violence on our campus and he came back and was calling me a racist and i actually had a girl try to come fight me she was an african-american and she uh asked me if i just hate yeah okay yeah and she was she said why do you hate black people i said i don't hate black people but i do want to know if this gentleman is inciting violence on our campus because that's not okay
1: yeah that was one of the things we talked about uh as well and it you can tell me if it's the same case here where yeah. the, the folks that are so, you know, protesting, they, they say they're against racism, they're against all kinds of things and they're, they're against fascists and they're against violence. And then they become fascist and violent themselves. For sure. You know, do you see that happening?
4: I do believe that ha- is happening on campus, but I believe it's because of this disconnect with um, millennials and not actually taking the time to learn okay. what a fascist is and what a bigot is. It's, them hearing it in the mainstream
6: media. Yeah, they're just using on the words. On social media,
1: and they're just using the words, exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Let's bring uh, Al into the conversation here. Al, go ahead.
6: Oh, thank you. I uh, was going to just kind of respond to your comments about uh, about the fact that a lot of the conservative students on campus these days are not very vocal about it and uh, don't make uh, their their beliefs uh, and their political uh, opinions known. Uh, my son goes to school at Florida State, and he was assaulted. this in his past, a year uh, because he was uh, conservative when he was wearing a conservative hat, at least what was was interpreted as a conservative hat. And, of course, uh, while he was being assaulted, they were calling him a fascist, which I think is also ironic, like we're just touching on, you know, the the people that are using the word fascist most often need to look in the mirror and understand that in most cases it's actually them yeah. uh, who are the fascists. And, and, and the I guess the point is, is in general, uh, I've, I've lived 62 years, and I'm pretty familiar with fascism is, and I've never seen a wave of fascism in this country in my in my lifetime like we have right now. Sharp. Yeah. yeah you know, sure. What we're seeing intense okay. violence on the streets, you know, and the post of uh, assault that been place in California over the past couple of months of uh, people that are just demonstrating, you know, drug demonstrators and things like that. I mean, this is textbook fascism, and and it's happening all over the country right now, and it's not the conservatives uh, who are associated with it.
1: Now, it's interesting. I want to bring Charlene just for a second here, but also, how's your son doing now? Does he have groups on campus that he can go to? Is there support conservative groups that can take up his cause and his uh, situation and help him out?
6: He's not the kind of young man who's going to lean toward uh, getting involved in a group. He's He's pretty independent, and, uh, uh, he, he stands on his own. He, he hasn't buckled to it. He hasn't uh, stopped wearing, you know, his his <laughs> his political opinions on his hats and shirts. and stuff. But uh, it just was an incident that happened, and it certainly made us sit back and think for a you know a while about uh, the the situation that he was in uh, there in Tallahassee, which of course is a pretty liberal city these days. And, uh, but the point that the point being is that it might, certainly my son is just one of many of the people who have been assaulted by. Uh, Genocides in the past year or two because of their political beliefs.
1: But that's a criminal offense. They, they deserve to be arrested. The people that perpetrated this. I mean, his, well,
6: and then if you look back at what President Obama did in, in uh, about the middle of his administration, when he was attacking local police uh, yep. officers and forces around the country, uh, he injected federal, you know, a lot of federal authority into some of these larger municipal uh, police uh, operations, And you saw. Uh, the product of that in California, where you had uh, some of these demonstrations that turned very violent this past year, and the police just stood off to the side and, and didn't lift a finger to protect
1: people. Yeah, let's see what's uh, what's going on campus with Charlotte. Uh, what do you think of all this?
6: Yeah,
4: definitely. So I can't think of a time on campus. I, first of all, want to um, apologize to your son that he had to face that on FSU's campus. Um, I'll be transferring there in the fall, so um, hopefully they won't try to, you know, beat me up for my political opinions. But unfortunately, that's just the world we live in nowadays, uh, which is a sad thing to say. But I do apologize for your son, and I do hope he's doing better and that he keeps Uh, you know, preaching his conservative right um, on campus. But uh, I also encourage him that he should go join the college Republicans at FSU. They are a group of people that um, I I would recommend highly. I will be joining them as soon as I get there. But um, as far as our campus goes, I don't think anyone is actually brave enough to, to actually fight someone over their political beliefs. Um, I think at the end of the day, we're all there to get an education and we should keep it that way. But as far as the rest of the world goes, uh, the rest of this nation anyway, uh, we do see it quite often that conservatives are the ones getting beat up and tortured over their political beliefs, which is unfortunate. Um, And we should be the ones that are continuously uh, preaching free speech no matter what. Um, even if we don't like the left or the left's belief, I think that we still need to take into consideration that they have just as as, as much right as we do to free speech. But we just need to remind them that hate speech is not covered by our First Amendment. Oh,
1: well, that's, well, that's interesting. True. Go ahead, Al.
6: No, that's very true, and I you know I appreciate her words and thoughts on this. The one thing I would say in terms of you know what you said about uh, people not wanting to fight, you know, when we talk about a fight, we think of one person squaring off against another, and in most cases, that's not the way liberals fight. No, it's uh, not. Liberals fight when they've got you outnumbered number 10 to 1, and they can beat you half to death without anybody licking a finger aside, you know, to protect themselves, because they've got you so overpowered, you can swing back. That's usually the way that a liberal fight. Uh, that, that's what we saw on TV, you know, this past few months, uh, in California and in Oregon, you know, and, and Washington, and places like, you know, big liberal centers. And this was happening while police would stand off and literally watch from the sidelines and not lift a finger to protect people. Uh, and, and it is very unfortunate that it's happening, but, you know, it's not like one person swearing off against another. It's yeah. not whether a person has the courage to fight or not. You know, this is, uh, <laughs> these are gang attacks, yeah. really.
1: i got a question for both of you. Um, with the FSU campus and University of, of West Florida, uh, has anybody gone to the police to get, uh, like, a policy statement or an official uh, written statement that they will back conservatives that they will they will not ignore, you know, as as past police departments have done like the Berkeley City Police and the College Campus Police at the University of California Berkeley. You know, they stood back and watched a lot of times, but it'd be nice to have them on record, you know, when there isn't an incident going on, saying what is your policy regarding free speech? You know, are you going to to protect conservative groups as much as any other group you've protected in the past? You know, can you get something in writing from these people and get a policy on this?
6: Well, Political, I don't believe that political assaults, you know, politically based assaults falls under a kind of free speech protection, uh, you know. No, it's not. That, it's an assault. It's well, it is. And and so my point is, I guess, when you, you go to the police and they ask a question like that, you know, I don't know how they're going to respond, you know, because in a lot of cases, I think they're just going to deny that there's any policy in place. But the truth of the matter is they, they almost have to have been directed. Uh, to stand back and allow things to happen. And that's,
1: that's why I want the written policy. That's why I want to find well, out, you know, from the. Yeah, from I'm the, just
6: not sure if you're going to get it. You know, you know how things work these days. Yeah, but you they, ask for it. Sometimes, yeah, just, wish, sometimes
1: just asking for it is, is enough of a of a claim to get people thinking.
6: Yeah, well, um, I wish we had that much integrity within our uh, governmental uh, arena these days. I yeah. just doesn't seem like we do. Okay. Thanks, Al. You bet.
1: All right. So, yeah, uh, that leaves the line open at 631330. If you want to join our conversation here, please feel free. Um, Charlotte, i got to challenge you on one thing. Did you say that hate speech is not covered by the First Amendment?
4: No, I don't believe that hate speech is covered by the First Amendment, but I think hate speech is also subjective, so it's hard to talk about.
1: That's the question that I was getting to, because speech, there, there is no limitation on, on free speech in the Constitution. Right. And my contention is that unless speech is offensive, it's not speech. It's not, you, know, you have to be, unless you're offending somebody, you're not really being effective. You know, so, but the question is, I mean, let's, let's, let's kind of wrestle around with this a little bit, because in, in terms of the First Amendment, you know, I see that as you can't make a restriction on free speech. But how would you define free speech? Now, I define it as ideas and opinions. They say you can't yell fire in a, in a crowded theater. That's not speech. That's a warning. Uh, if there's a fire... It's, it's necessary. If there isn't a fire, you're just being a criminal, you know, you're being a jerk, but you're not advocating any position. You're not advocating uh, a, a, a new idea or something that's controversial. So for me, the first, all amendments, uh, uh, all rights are absolute within the context of the right. Okay. Second amendment, the context of the right is to own and carry firearms. The context of the right does not extend to the use so the use can be both legal and illegal, okay? So there I def- there's where I make the distinction, but you have an absolute right to own and carry firearms by the Second Amendment. You have an absolute right to free speech, but you can't be violent about it, you know, you- and you can't require people to listen, uh, you know, and if you're offending people, then you're offending people. That's the whole point of free speech, is to make controversial opinions and ideas, but that can't be limited, and there's where the subjectivity comes in. Who's to say what's hate speech? Because if- And this is very common in millennials. They'll so say, you can't say that because the First Amendment doesn't cover hate speech, and- And then they define what hate speech is to them. And this is where the problem comes in. Your turn.
4: Sure. So the problem with hate speech, like I said, it is subjective. So I guess I should make myself a little bit more clear whenever I say hate speech. I'm talking about violent, um, incentivizing speech. So um, whenever someone says to make someone afraid again, I would like a direct comment on, Are you talking about the lynching of a group of people? Are you talking about the killing of a group of people? Because if you are talking about that, then I feel that you are now threatening and you're advocating for violence. So at that point, I do believe that it's considered hate speech. Um, Now, as far as there was a guy out on the UWF campus yesterday, and he was talking about how women belong in the kitchen, and um, who was this? I I have no idea. Is that Brother Jed? I'm not really sure. He's just traveling reverend. It was a real troubled guy, that's for sure, and he upset a lot of uh, women on the campus yesterday. I wasn't too affected by it because I like being in the kitchen. I like like my food. But doesn't he have (laughs) a right to say that? Uh, he does have a right to say that, absolutely. Okay, uh, a lot of people came back and said it was hate speech, but I don't believe it was, and I did back him up yesterday. Even though, um, you know, I'm there getting my degree, and I would like to either go into the law field one day or go into politics. I'm not really too sure yet. But um, I think you're already
1: in politics. I
4: I, I am in politics, and yeah. it's it's a great time. But we uh, at the end of the day. We're all there to get an education, and so if you're there to get an education and you know what you're there for, then you shouldn't really be offended by what someone else has to say. Uh, But it's not considered, I
1: don't believe, hate speech. Yeah, see, I don't like this whole concept of hate speech because speech is speech. And as long as you're, like I say, advocating a position, an idea, or a controversial subject, that's fair game. And, and you can't define that as hate speech. If you're advocating violence, that's different. That's not, then you've, then you've left the realm of speech, because of violence, you're not an opinion anymore, you're, you're a danger, you're a threat. Sure. Like yelling, fire in a crowded theater. So I don't lump that in with speech. But speech itself, however offensive, has to be protected because what's offensive today might be mainstream you know, 20 years from now. We don't know. Sure. I mean, a lot of things were, were offensive 50 years ago that we talk about pretty openly now. Um, so i tell you what, we've got to call caller, but I want to take a break right now. And so let's do that. So Michael, just hang on a little bit. We'll get right to you after the break. Uh, this is Greg Penglis with Charlotte Davis, who is the president of the University of West Florida College Republicans. Be right back at eight thirty four. Here special guest charlotte davis with eight thirty in the morning and let's get to michael you're on the air hey michael
6: yeah oh uh, the question i have
3: you know somebody's got to be pushing this hate agenda what's that now oh uh, the violence on oh. campus right and, and my question is are the uh are the liberal professors instigating this you know because i don't know but would they so many liberals in there are they brainwashing the students to cause this to happen um and i'll let y'all speak about it
1: oh hey listen Marsh, uh, michael thanks very much yeah okay so let me uh let me get to charlotte and we'll answer that so what's what are the liberal professors doing to you
4: so I actually don't see this happening as much at UWF. UWF. Um, I believe that at UWF they're more wanting just to push their social agenda more so than violence. Um, but I think a perfect example of this is actually at UC Berkeley um, that you had Jose on last right. week. Jose Diaz. Um, whenever the Antifa um, organization, which is a terrorist, or well, domestic terrorist organization, I do believe, um, they – the liberal professors were actually a part of the organization, and we're and we're helping out with the movement. So I that's something
1: I didn't get a chance to ask him about, but yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I so I don't
4: believe that that it's happening at all universities. Maybe not so much at the smaller universities, but I do believe at the bigger universities, like UC Berkeley, it's a prevalent thing. And it's that's the scary part about it is that these students are um, being influenced by their professors, and these professors are. Tagging right along with them.
1: So, what would you recommend from the College Republicans? What, what would you suggest to do for policy or, or police or arrests or anything like that?
4: Well, um, I think that as far as the police go at UC Berkeley, I think they should have paid more attention to yeah. the aspect of of the night when the anti was going and throwing rocks at at the universities. So building jail- that Milo was in. Yeah,
1: it's a jailable offense to me. If professors are organizing demonstrators right. and encouraging them to be violent. That's the very hate activity that, we're, that they're supposedly against, and they're doing exactly that thing. That's what Al's point was, you know, look in the mirror, folks. You know, you are the fascists that you supposedly are so against. Exactly. Let's bring uh, Marshall into this. Marshall, go ahead.
3: Yeah, I wonder if a way to frame this thing about hate speech would be that there's no such thing as hate speech, although there is illegal speech. And what I mean by that is if you make a threat against somebody that you're going to beat them up or stab them, and it's a viable threat, that is called assault. Right. You are breaking the law. But there's no such a thing as hate speech. If I said I hate Adolf Hitler, or I hate Muhammad, or the followers of Muhammad that believe they can break nine-year-old girls, that is not hate speech. That's a statement of fact, in my opinion, and how I feel. It's not hate speech.
1: Yeah, see, I don't think, as long as you're, like I tried to define earlier, within the context of ideas, opinions, however controversial they are, if you're advancing an idea or an opinion, then that is speech, and it can't be hate speech, but if you're just threatening violence, then that's not speech, and that's why that wouldn't be a First Amendment issue, and that's where I make the distinction. Does that make sense to you?
3: Oh, absolutely, because... Speech does not need to be protected if it's kind speech. Nobody's against saying, "Oh, I love flowers." <laughs> that's, <a shame. laughs> that's very true. I
1: never thought about it that way. This is a great point, Marshall. Well, yeah. yeah,
3: they they want to ban speech that's offensive to them. And
1: but do you see, that my as...
3: thought is you shouldn't be so easily offended. Yeah. You can't say anything that would offend me.
1: Yeah, I I, I had a bunch of uh, conservative definitions I wrote in an article a while back. And uh, I think one of them was uh, political racism, where you use the term racism to get a political outcome. And the same thing is going on here. If you accuse somebody of something to gain a political advantage over them, um, then that's – and you call it hate speech, then that's that's what the tactic is. It's a tactic, but it's, it's certainly not uh, something that you can use uh, you know, for free speech. But that's what's going on, I think.
3: Yeah, pe- Pepsi's commercial, have a Pepsi. That was considered hate speech and racist because wow. they gave a cop a Pepsi. Yeah.
4: So I actually didn't get to see that commercial yet. I got that brought up last night, and um, everyone's talking about it, but I haven't gotten to see the commercial yet.
3: Okay. It, it is the most ridiculous thing to make that a racist issue, like white people never protest and white people never go up to cops and offer them something to drink. It's oh, just man. insane.
1: Oh, well, and I, the Racism, like I say, racism is used as a tactic. Uh, the term, and, and they're genuine racist. And the problem is that when, when you run across somebody who's a genuine racist, you know the term has been so overused it doesn't mean anything anymore. Do you have another question for Charlotte? Because I got another caller on the line after this.
5: No, that was it. I sure appreciate your time.
1: Okay, thanks, Marshall. All right, let's go to Pete. And Pete, you're on the air.
5: Hey, Miss Charlotte. Thanks for uh, showing up. No yeah. problem. How are you today? Oh, I'm too blessed to stress. Yeah, talking about that uh, that gender of uh, uh, Caitlin Jenner, whatever her name is, uh, the daughter, not Caitlin, but whatever the, the daughter is. That, that uh, commercial, it covered everything. It had blacks in it. It had rioters. It had a, a lady with a hijab with a bone in her nose taking pictures. It covered all genders and they, uh, genres, and they shouldn't have... Uh, they shouldn't have pulled it, you know. They they buckled, you know. Well, it
4: certainly couldn't have been racist if they were all represented, huh?
5: That's it. I mean, it was a, a rainbow, you know. Uh, uh, was it the purple elephant? You know, Barney. You know. <laughs> but uh, hey, you know, we were meant, you were talking earlier about let, getting in touch with the police force and the campus cops and all that. Get a policy
1: yeah. statement. Yeah.
5: Yeah. That that, that that happened before. That happens all the time. Hmm. They tell them and they say, okay, we'll follow the laws and we'll we'll keep everything in line and this and that. So riots come, nothing happens, people get hurt, nothing happens, blood gets shed, nothing happens, and then they make a statement, they put a microphone, in the cops or the official's faces again, oh, well, next time we'll do it differently. You yeah. know, like I, and, uh, Ann Coulter got a, a pie thrown in her face. When was in, that? In one speech. Wow. She had a pie. You know, somebody walked up on stage, I don't know how, popped a pie. Like that one uh, Trump rally, somebody pepper sprayed a lady. This yep. was a Trump rally for of Trump people, a man came up behind her back and pepper sprayed her in the face.
1: That was what, actually Berkeley.
5: Yeah, was it? Yep. Yes, yeah, it wasn't a Trump rally. She had a Trump hat or something on? Yes, she did. Or, so yes. I thought Trump somehow was involved. But anyway, why was that man not detained by the other people? The question was, when the cops finally got there and took him to jail, how did he get these bruises, you know? But uh, that's what they should have said. Hey, a long time ago, we were uh, with the Gideons, and we were passing out Bibles at UWF. Maybe you can answer this question for me. We were told if we passed out these Bibles, we had to stay in this very small area to pass out Bibles. We couldn't leave. We couldn't do anything. And while we are there, the anarchists got their own wild. Black Lives Matters got their own wild. Yeah, let's
1: let's take that on the air, Pete, because I have another caller. But it's a great question, so let's get Charlotte to answer.
4: That is a great question. So this is actually something that um, the UWF College Republicans have fought about. Uh, the university about uh since probably a decade ago they introduced this concept of a free speech zone that you could only freely speak and it doesn't matter if you offend someone or not in so a certain zone.
1: Oh, so you can be offensive in this zone but you but but, but outside, outside of that of the zone, zone they
4: could actually kick you off campus if, that's if it's offensive enough. Isn't that absurd?
1: Offensive enough to whom?
4: That's subjective, isn't it?
1: So do you ever have conservatives saying, you know, to when you have like a liberal speaker, I'm sorry, this is offensive, we want to boycott this speaker? Do you ever reverse the tactics on them just for the fun of it?
4: Well, because we've been in this rebuilding stage, we actually haven't had a lot of speakers out on campus okay. to cause this controversial movement. But something I would like to see is that happen just for the pure irony of it.
1: Yeah. Do you write articles for the school newspaper or anything like that?
4: I don't. I have a friend that actually has written quite a few on me and just a few others that have written a few on me. And something she wrote about, I actually shared the article on my Facebook page yesterday, was one that was called um, Free Speech is Free Speech No Matter How Small. And I think she (laughs) took a a Dr. Seuss type of appeal on that. But it was very interesting just because it's true. Free speech is free speech no matter how small. Um, no matter if someone is telling you that you belong in the kitchen because you're a woman, right. it doesn't matter. That's their opinion. They're able to Who have cares? it. cares? Who cares? Exactly, yeah. because I know what I'm at the university for, yeah. and if I'm stable enough to believe that, I should be able to walk by and say, you know what, if that's your opinion, then have at it. But
1: and, and if I offended, hope to not
4: be the wife of a man that thinks that way because I'll be spending late nights hopefully in a paralegal office. Oh, yeah,
1: there you go. <laughs> yeah, and if you're offended, you're offended. What's wrong with being offended? Exactly. My situation is, if you're offended, offend back. All right, so let's get uh, Steve online. line. Steve, go ahead.
7: Morning, Greg. I Good morning. I came in late uh, during Marshall's call. Okay. I'm reminded... Got to be there at 8, eight o'clock. o'clock. Stuff happens here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm old. Oh. On 27 March, I read a story about a Florida professor named Ariz Zafari. Uh, she was teaching Islam as a fact, and it was not an Islamic studies course. Oh. Uh, She was teaching and stating uh, emphatically that Jesus' crucifixion was a hoax and that his disciples did not believe he was God. There was a Christian student named Marshall Polston in the class, and he had the stones and the faith in Christ, and he stood up to the Muslim liar and corrected her. Uh, The Rollins College administration suspended that Christian student, and the lying Muslim professor played the victim and was protected. It's a double standard that I was not taught as I grew up in the 1950s, and that's the problem with this nation. When you have double standards, in the military you have double standard. It destroys morale, and that's exactly what it's doing to this country, and that's why there's a lot of people that are very disenfranchised with the so-called hate speech, which is not. The hate speech was coming from the Muslim. The Christian male student was standing up for his God, as I would, until death, and it's so sad that the leadership of this country is allowing this.
1: Well, I think the leadership's changing, but uh, let's get Charlotte's take on it.
7: Sure. Um, I do
4: believe that I actually heard this story because I I believe it didn't happen too long ago. But as a Christian, I would have to say that I think that was a true test of the student's faith, and I think that he did the right thing. I think he did a good job. I think yes. God probably placed him in that classroom for a reason because there was probably a student in that classroom that might have been struggling with their faith.
7: Absolutely. So
4: I'm, I'm very proud for that student for standing up for what he believed in and to, um, you know, fight back against the administration that so often wants to push you to believe how they believe um, as something that we had a um, protest about on campus as college Republicans was for UWF teach don't persuade. That was something that. Um,
1: How does that work?
4: That was something that we had come up with because there were many teachers that were out there telling students about the election that they should be voting for Hillary Clinton because she was the one that was going to win.
1: You should do like a political evaluation. You don't know, have your teacher right? reviews. <laughs> you should do a teacher political reviews. This teacher is way far on the left. Don't listen to them. They don't know what they're talking about. Or this is a conservative teacher who is following the Constitution. Have you ever done like a political review of teachers?
4: Well, so they actually have... Um, don't go away,
1: Steve. i got another question for you.
4: They actually have a website now available and I can't for the life of me think um, what the name actually is but it's a review for professors that if they are actually persuading in their classroom liberal ideologies
0: uh-huh. that you
4: can actually put them on there I'm not sure how successful the website actually was but I know it's there's,
2: there's something own. out there yeah. right
1: so my question for Steve uh, actually it's a question for, for both of you but say Steve or you know folks like Steve want to get involved and help the college campuses, can they, can adults, non-students get involved with the college Republicans or other groups on their way to, so that he can have an impact and, and stop these kind of things like the the Muslim professor stating what they were stating?
4: Absolutely. I think uh, being a part of the board of trustees is a great way to start, um, but if you don't have that that opportunity to be a part of the board of trustees, I know not everyone can be. Um, get involved with the College Republicans chapter on that local campus. Uh, we all have Facebook pages. Most of the time we have a website. I don't have a website for ours just because we are a smaller campus, but I know FSU does. Um, get involved with that, that local College Republicans chapter and see what they can do to help you out.
1: Steve, would that be of interest to you? Uh,
7: I've been doing that for decades.
1: Okay, well, <laughs> you're already involved in. yeah. <laughs> much,
7: much further ahead, but uh, okay. as I as I'm – Very disabled, uh, much harder to do those things. But that's good advice you gave, and I'm going to let you go to the next caller.
1: Okay. Thanks, Steve, for your call. Appreciate it. Actually, we're going to have to take a little break right now. It's 852, and we have one more segment left with Charlotte Davis. So if you want to squeak in a call at 623-1330, now is your chance. This is Greg Penglis. We'll be right back. We've got Northwest Florida talking
3: on 1330
5: W-E-B-Y. Ladies and gentlemen and gentlemen.
1: Is this for my millennial guests? <laughs>
4: Throwing it back to the 90s.
1: Oh, this is 90s? I believe so. It's not my millennial guests then. Oh, okay. What, what year was this created? I and, honestly don't know. And MC Hammer didn't copy it and try and make <laughs> a fortune off it. So that's a good thing. Okay, anyway. My guest, Charlotte Davis, president of the University of West Florida College Republicans. And you have an event coming up, some big banquet or something. Tell me about that. We
4: do have an event coming up. So we are having our end of the year banquet, and I will be relinquishing my presidency on April 15th from 6.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. That's
1: so formal. You're relinquishing?
4: I am relinquishing and passing the gavel to the new president. and he or she does not know who he or she is yet. So you they will find out at the Big what We do vote on it.
1: Okay. So tell me about college Republicans. How many, you know, the national organization, where are they, and, and the history of this. Let's, let's, let's get some information on that in our last couple of minutes. I'm curious.
4: Sure. So at UWF, we are a federated chapter. So we actually have a state board that we report to, and then in turn that state board has a national committee that they report to. The national committee is actually... Um, underneath the Republican National Committee. We are the College Republican National Committee. So you're
1: actually part of the Republican yeah. Party. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. Okay. Um,
4: so we are a state. The state is federated as the Florida Federation of College Republicans. Mm-hmm. And under that, we are a chapter under federated under the Florida Federated Chapter. Um, mm but we are a chapter at UWF made up of 30 dues-paid members. We okay. have over 100 people that actually signed up to get like our emails and updates about events that we're having. So
1: if someone wanted to do that, what's the best contact information?
4: Um, the best contact information is actually to email uwfcollegerepublicans at gmail.com to figure out how you can get involved. Um, and if they're a student, of course, on campus, they can log on to their Argo Pulse website and request to become a member through through the Argo Pulse website. Hmm.
1: Do you take uh, stands on legislation uh, that's up uh, in various offices? Have you done stuff like that? or
4: I personally do, and we've talked about it multiple times, but as a chapter, we tend to not always agree on every piece of legislation. Okay. So, unfortunately, I do my own personal work as far as legislation goes. Yeah.
1: And have you thought of a political internship with, like, uh, Congressman Matt Gates or something like that?
4: Yes. <laughs> I have been... <laughs> just, just thinking. Um, over the last year, You're I was... have about 20 seconds now. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, I, over the last year, I was wanting to intern, actually, with Representative Clay Ingram. Okay. He went to Tate High School, and so did I. And oh, then, there you go. Uh, he went to FSU, and that's where I'll be attending in August.
1: Oh, wow. That sounds good. Well, good luck to you. Uh, I hope we stay in touch and definitely get you back on the air. Uh, And this is Craig Penglis for Action Radio. Back again Monday. Have a good weekend, everybody. We'll see you first thing 6 o'clock. Action Radio. Dangerously cool. Meanwhile, back at present day. Yeah, that was from 2017. So anybody that might have joined us, you know, in process of that interview, I have a series. I have a bunch of them, actually, uh, about a year and four months worth uh, of shows and some really good interviews. So I'm selecting uh, the best of them to to put on the podcast here because otherwise they'd never be heard again. So the station WBY was bought out. uh, And so I fortunately was able to get all of my shows um, recorded and gone, and so uh, that's my one-minute warning. So I'm actually pretty good on timing here today, um, so I'm happily playing them, putting them on podcast here, and so just like I'm doing a lot of previous articles I've written, uh, putting them on my Substack column at com. and so I've got, um, I don't have very much else to do. So anyway, it, it's been an incredible week, uh, I think I'll pick up the, the court case Monday because it is so good, uh, but even so, the judge, like I say, is about 85% right, about 15%. Nah. You know, we still have to talk. And so uh, my, my continued um, efforts to get the Constitution properly understood by simply reading it and, and realizing what's there and what isn't there. And so when judges come up with all these tests and all these reasonable restrictions and all these in the public interest and standing, and all this stuff, you have to understand that's all made up. It's not in the Constitution. So it doesn't take a genius or a constitutional scholar. It doesn't take a lawyer. It doesn't take uh, really anybody uh, except maybe a high school education who can read to look at the Constitution and look at the court case and go, huh, I don't see that in the Constitution. And if it's not there, you know, especially for the Supreme Court, uh, if it's not there, they can't do it. I mean, it's really just that simple. The court has authority over cases um, in arising under the Constitution involving law and equity. And that's it. That's all they can do. Their, their authority ends with the case. They cannot make policy regulation. They cannot uh, make a bizarre tests for cases to be taken. Uh, they can't have uh, any kind of restrictions on the Constitution itself, especially the Bill of Rights. Uh, and yet they do all those things. So that's why we do our best to, uh, to, to try and set the record straight here. All right. So one more time, I'm going to play the, for the last time because I'm going to change it. My action radio info piece. And then we'll play, uh, I guess, another little promo thing. And then our, our classic ending music for uh, the end of the week, Back Monday Morning. And so we were here all this week. Um, so if you missed any of our shows because you're on holiday you can catch the podcast and that's at uh, well com slash citizen action and again back Monday morning uh, at 7 a.m. central when we will do it all again here is your action radio contact and website information our show site is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Live and podcast. Please share all our shows. Our bill writing site is writeyourlaws.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, writeyourlaws.com. This is where anyone can write a bill and start the process of it becoming law. Our paid and free subscription column is at gregpenglis.substack.com. Please consider a paid subscription of $5 per month or greater. Contributions, please go to givesandgocom slash actionradio. We have over 20 Action Radio Facebook groups. Use the Facebook search window by putting Action Radio in it. My public email is greg at writeyourlaws.com. Please contact me about advertising on Action Radio and beat the coming rush. And now back to our regularly scheduled program.